No, I started. You you started talking about me not telling people when we started. So obviously that's when I'm going to start. That was like you queuing me up to start. No, but I don't want to start. Yeah, this is fine. Oh, you don't want to start? I I need to finish eating so that people know that I have some decency about me. Nah, you're you're on mic going with your, what are those? Jalapeno leaves? Yes. Very good. Thank you, Damien. You're welcome. I didn't make them. I'm not the, the scientist behind leaves. Uh, this is this is a, a, a much greater contrast um, than not greater contrast. This is a great contrast to last week's episode because I wasn't sure how to really start last week amidst all the talking. But you guys are very polite and and there was a twenty minute um, gal chatting session mm-hmm. before me and Damon were just like, I guess we should start the yeah. episode now. Let's just run the mics, see what happens, and then I could do an intro somewhere in that. Mm-hmm. But instead, we've got some very organized people because they're here to talk about a very mature movie, probably. The most adult movie of the year? Who's to say? Um, of 2024? Of 2023. Okay. Of the last year. Ooh. Yep. Um, well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Movie Man Dem. I'm one of your hosts, Damien. With me, as always, my co-host. Hey, it's me, Bam. My co- co-researcher in yeah. this project. The, the uh, Manhattan Light Project. For yeah. <laughs> um, to my right. Oh, Bam, how are you doing? Forgot oh, to ask. Um, you know, I'm drinking a tall cup of coffee that you've made quite... Quite, quite lovely bit of coffee that you made. Actually. Yeah, yeah, French it's, it's press, nice. Mm-hmm. French press, French press, blue mountain, mountain coffee. Ground, ground the beans myself that's before good, that's good, that's good. pressing it in um, in the French I'm, presser. I'm, I'm, like, I know we agreed to this years ago, mm. but like this, like middle of the week recording after work that right. you've suddenly had us doing. I'm yeah. just like, all right, I'll, I need to acclimatize myself. Yeah, this, but I'll do it. I mean, I I, I won't lie, it's it works for me. It right. gives me more time between episodes and edit as right. opposed to us recording right. on Saturday right. and having to put it out on yeah, the Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but yeah. like you and your damn social life yeah. going out on Saturdays all of a sudden. Yeah. When we staunchly agreed to like You're supposed no to be down in the basement podcasters yeah. doing though, podcasts. We weekend, we weekend our podcast. Look, there's it's it spillover from the holiday season, right? Like there's certain people who still don't no, go back. January second, done. No go out. There are no people do road <laughs> until February. Who still we don't go back? You need to go to work and earn back the money, money you that spent. We spent over Christmas. That I, is what I, we agreed upon. I, I hear you. In theory, I agree with you. Unfortunately, life has other plans for me. Um, he started speaking already because he's the most comfortable here on the microphone of our guests. But to my right, we have Mr. Stephen. Hello, everyone. Freed from the shackles of 90s films. How do you feel? Um, It's like a revolution. Yeah. yeah. Like quantum mechanics was in 1910. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's a bad joke. And for I'm that punished. joke, you'll not appear here until April. For another oh, I have so many bad Whoa. jokes. Mm. I came prepared. You got science jokes? Yes, science. I got science jokes. Mm. Well, no, not really. All right, well, just hold on to this. Just I want you to formulate in your mind what would Oppenheimer have looked like if it was in the 90s. 
Who um, would have starred? Oh. Yeah. Okay. Are we going to do this at the end? Near the Jerry Seinfeld, that's open. What's the deal with the Japanese? Um, joining us uh, to my left, I pointed in front of me, which probably confused people, but you know, got to keep them guessing. It's a visual podcast. To my left, we have a new guest on the podcast. Uh, don't judge him by his voice today. He's a little bit different than how he usually sounds, or so I'm told. Randy, Steven's friend. This is where you talk. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hi. When we point to um, this is something I have in common with Bojack Horseman. What's right. that? The horse voice. Oh, okay. So, right. you know, right. hopefully right. this is the only time. So, so the, the depression? Uh, yeah, why not? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, for sure. So the alcoholism as well, maybe? No, Randy isn't a yeah. terrible person. Okay. I, I don't want to bring good people here. I'm just saying, I don't compare myself to Bojack just just like that in front of people who I've just met. Right. That, that could open a whole can of worms mm-hmm. and then also sitting next to Bam it's Bam's friend Vanessa I just woke up in a basement <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh. alright so we really discussed that's, that's oh. the part that gets cut out Do of the podcast uh, Vanessa, who, uh, uh, if I remember correctly, is the one who referred to me as that Indian guy on ER mm-hmm. yes um, just, just, just want to say on mic and in front of Vanessa, not actually Indian. I know it seems that way. I've got yeah. it my entire life. Right. So I, I accept it. I, I mean, I don't know if they accept me, but you know. Well, so ethnically enough. ambiguous. Yeah. Close That's enough, honestly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, but we're, we're not here to talk about my ambiguous ethnicity. Yeah. We are here to talk about one of the best films of An ambiguous science project. An ambiguous science project. It was quite ambiguous to people who were looking on because, I mean, when you're developing what is intended to be a weapon to be used in a world war you don't just blast that out on twitter right no, no, like no. you have to do that quite secretly yo no, los alamos gang yo yeah. we out here <laughs> forward, yo. hashtag bomb squad mm-hmm. no you don't do that uh, no we're talking about oppenheimer um fresh off of its several golden globe wins it mm-hmm. won for best picture drama uh, best, best director, director best actor best, actor, uh, be- best supporting actor mm-hmm. and uh, best score um and yeah we we i mean we we both saw it in july yeah and that was the the you know the time i, of I was there too the, the barbenheimer oh we all saw it in yeah. july as a collective steven <laughs> fomo ass um uh, and that was the time of barbenheimer, barbenheimer. Mm-hmm. Yes. and we decided at the time of the two of these which are we going to talk about at this point of release and we decided to do barbie yeah it was more of a social phenomenon i yeah. feel as though barbie mm-hmm. was but now when it comes time to award season barbie's still getting nominated all over the place yeah. but um oppenheimer has been sweeping the, the its lunch yeah yeah uh so we're gonna talk about it and also it released on uh digital yeah. quite recently so we've had a chance to rewatch it uh you've rewatched it yeah twice I, now um i re- i I watched it in July. Right. And I was like, and then like several moments in, I'm like, is this Loki the best movie I've ever seen in a theater? Mm-hmm. <laughs> several times. And then I watched it with my girlfriend's dad because I'm just like, I need a dad's opinion on this. You like, watched it with him in cinemas? Or no, 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 no. Like, this is uh, two weeks ago. Right. I was just like, I need like a, a dad opinion on this because I'm like, this is a dad-tastic kind of film. You remember we t- we spoke to Chris Brownie like right after Oppenheimer right, came right, out right, 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 right. and he was like, 
why is Oppenheimer not showing anymore? Right. You know why? Because mm. they had shown they had shown it for like a week and then it went away. Yeah. And then they, they were only it for a week. Right. Only at like eight o'clock showing. You're right. And it, I'm like, adults need to watch this. So right. Adults are not going to the movie at eight o'clock. Yeah. And and he was like, I, I don't have time for that. Yeah, I, t- yeah. I, I I have to five go to sleep. maybe two a two p.m. matinee. Oppenheimer would have done numbers. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. The one that they have specifically for school children. Yeah. They're gonna run Oppenheimer right, for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um yeah, and then I watched it again last night. And I'll have you know, the third time was really the charm mm-hmm. because Ludwig's score just lulled me right into like a perfect sleep. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I'm not saying like I really love this film, yeah. but I was like, um, I was a bit drugged, so I was like kind of like tired from jump, and then I again started at nine o'clock. I don't mm. know why I keep on starting long movies at nine o'clock. Thinking, yeah, like, mm-hmm. I'm yeah. gonna get through them. I like mm-hmm. I really. That's 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 a childish thing I should throw away now. Like hardcore to watch a movie at six o'clock p.m. That's what I should do now. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I started watching this, and then like the first the first act goes by, and I'm like, mm, perfect movie. Yeah. And then act two happens, and they start on building the team for the Manhattan Project, and I'm just like, mm, good ass movie. And I fall asleep some way halfway through that. And I have in my headphones, mm-hmm. and upon the Trinity test explosion, yeah. I was rocked away. You just oh. awake. Yeah. <laughs> I was watching because I I haven't actually gone back to revisit it since seeing it in the cinema okay um funny thing about seeing it in the cinema we were not supposed to watch it together um yeah because the thing about it is when a movie that i know my parents are interested in comes out which is very infrequently these days because most of the things that come out you know they're not really geared towards them and the ones that are geared towards them don't come to the cinema's hair so when one comes out like this or Killers of the Flower Moon which we we may do an episode on Killers of the Flower Moon in the near future Um, yeah I'm like I have to bring the old fogies to the cinema so they can see it and then I happen to see you people sitting Mm -hmm. in a row together Mm -hmm. and I just kind of ping-ponged between groups as we watched it Um, but I haven't gotten a chance to to re-watch it because it is difficult to find three hours in your day just oh, to yeah, sit and watch a film. Yeah, you might. Okay. Um, but I was watching some clips of it, and the clip that I watched today was, uh, oh, it was because they had that um, the live orchestra showing of Oppenheimer, where they had the the orchestra playing the score in front of the audience, and they were the scene that I was watching was the "Do you hear the music?" scene right. where Kenneth Branagh when he that uh, his character's first meeting Oppenheimer when he's mm-hmm. in school, yeah. and then they have that montage of basically college well just Oppenheimer's brain and how he perceives the universe and everything yeah and I'm sitting at work with like shitty ass work headphones that they right. give you so you can answer calls that's something that I like on my rewatching mm-hmm. that really annoyed me because I watched it in in in, in movie theaters right how terrible the sound is on headphones yeah, like, yeah. it doesn't really mm. capture how good yeah. no you the need sound to be editing. like in like a locked room yeah with mm. the walls you gotta get that surround sound yeah, yeah. 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 but even with the headphones like i could i felt the vibration maybe mm. it was me reminiscing to the moment in the cinema but it was just like the 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 sheer like shakiness that right, you feel yeah. watching it um came through because it, yeah it just this the the cinematic experience of watching up did everybody here watch it in the cinemas no 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 you didn't watch really in the cinemas, what no. was your experience watching it I, that, i'd love to know that um so you mean like compared to first and second time or yeah, oh how many general? times have you seen it twice okay so then you watched both of them in so what settings the first time i just watched it on a whim just after work uh-huh. you know just in bed is like okay fine 
Laptop, TV, headphones. Yeah, laptop. Okay. But good headphones. Sennheiser's. Okay. So, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. That's a good headphone. Yeah. That's a good brand. So I um used I, to record this podcast. Decent acoustic feel of it. Yeah. But you're right about the theater experience because you know your entire body is really an ear. You know, it's not just you. You're hearing, yeah. you know, through your head. So yeah, a big part of the ambiance is the vibration of the bass and everything mm-hmm. that can um, really take it in. But yeah, the first time was really just um, pretty casual. I was like half asleep and mm-hmm. said, "Okay, yeah, it's you know, it's not a big action film. You know, I didn't really expect uh, not it a big action film at all. Yeah. It seems okay. It's, it's what we call a talkie. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's interesting because like Nolan, I feel like has duped audiences a little bit because mm-hmm. he does his Batman movies. And they're very action heavy. Yeah. You know, they're 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 your more cerebral action films, definitely. But, um, you know, watch something like Tenet or even Dunkirk, which Dunkirk has hardly any dialogue or yeah, any any action. kind of like uh, um characters to speak of. Yeah. It's it's wall to wall action. Um, and then you have him building this brand of one of the only directors that can bring audiences in for an original film, not necessarily based on anything. And then he's making this Oppenheimer. It's supposed to be his big magnum opus, and it's supposed to be like all the press was. Oh, he's 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 basically. He's gonna recreate a nuclear recreated explosion. Recreated a nuclear explosion. It's gonna be practical effects. Cause you know, Nolan doesn't like digital stuff, and if he does, it's very very sparing. And, and everyone was and and all the posters were Killian looking at the bomb. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, explosion was the front and center of everything. It was like you have to be in IMAX to see this thing. Yeah. And then you go to the cinemas, and it's just. People talking. Niggas in the room talking. <laughs> like, Love it. Yeah. Love do you, know, it. Do you I, know what was one of my favorite like artistic choices for mm-hmm. the movie? Like, especially when the bomb does go off. Yeah. And it's just quiet, quiet yeah. and silent. Yeah. There's, there's that I was like, of silence too. I I think he, he definitely did that on purpose just as a fuck you to the to, to people who was like, oh, yeah. he's gonna do some big like practical effects and and stuff and it's like no I'm can just you imagine if it had cut to the bright light and then it goes straight back into the sessions in, yes. in, in the room <laughs> like no explosion no big boom right. just like cuts to a completely different time period mm-hmm. and then you go to them and it's the aftermath of the bomb i don't think that movie makes a billion if that's what happens but i i mean i don't remember actors names i'm not gonna pretend that i know directors and all of that that's okay we'll fill in the gaps it's not like there's like fifty thousand people in this movie sure but like working with what you just said about (laughs) about nolan um i think that he's he still came across in the movie though i think he created kind of a symphony you know like edm when you have the beat drop Mm -hmm. i think the beat drop was the explosion but i think he created a symphony from long before right right i was upset because I didn't get to watch it in theaters. I truly wanted to. Yeah. But as we've discussed, you know, it came out for like a week. Yeah. And then by the time I saw that, by popular demand, they brought it back for one day. Mm-hmm. And I saw it the day after. Mm-hmm. So I didn't get to see it um, in theaters. But even just watching it on my coach. Yeah. The same scenes where we saw how he viewed the universe. Right. All of, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, all of the atom explosions, the neutrons, you know, colliding, all of that stuff. To me, those were, you know, the so not even so subtle. Those were the small bits of action. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think he really used the concept of an explosion. He he may have deconstructed himself, if you will, in some kind right. of way. Yeah, that's a good but way to put to it. To me, that's that's how I would have seen. I personally saw him in it. And yeah, it just really built up. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was still action to me in that yeah. way. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. it, it, that's a good way to put it. Like those moments of just experiencing how he thinks of physics uh, or even just like the, I mean, the 
it's it's a lot of anticipation in the movie, the build up towards when they're going because you know what the movie's about, you know eventually what's going to happen. You know that this Trinity test is going to be a part of it. And it's just kind of like where is this gonna take place in the movie? I thought for sure it would be like the end near the, the very end. Right. Like they do a little bit of aftermath after that point because the movie was jumping around in time and showing you how he was after the bomb right. well before the bomb went off in the movie. So it, it's out of time a lot. So, um, so like, do you, do you so know what, what, oh. So like what's crazy about this, like there, it's not action as in like people are punch and kick and jump out building. Right. But it's like you set the stakes of what is going on. Right. So every single exchange of dialogue becomes like, oh, oh. fuck. Like it's tense. And, and, and when you get into like, you know, spies on government secrets mm-hmm. and everything, everything, every trade is like, Fuck! Something is going on. So yep. it's 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 dialogue as action yeah, because you're yeah. worried at each sentence everybody's exchanging. What, what? That's what really carried it, you know. Because the second time I rewatched it, when you tell me to rewatch, I make some notes. I said, "All right, cool, <laughs> nice." So I made some notes, looked at some details, and the way they played it out, right, is yeah, from the very get go, you guys are alluding to this. They said with Oppenheimer, what you'd call abstract phenomenology, which is just basically that the way he experienced the world is not how most human beings experience See, the world. See, this is why we bring science people on the podcast. <laughs> abstract phenomenology. Yeah. Nice. Okay, cool. So, and that's a key component um, of being a good theoretical physicist. Okay. It's actually a lot easier to be a practical physicist doing experimentation rather than theory, because with theory, you have to have a damn good imagination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And you have to be able to calculate things and inject things that don't exist yet in yeah. order to um, mm-hmm. to reach a, a potential end. right? But yeah, you're alluding to the way that they carried the story, even though it wasn't very action-oriented. You know, they, they kind of had this Hans Zimmer kind of feel to it, where the score really carried each moment, and yep. you know, there's that... A real intensity. The, 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 the score is like the, scenes, the third lead. You know? Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. It's, it's Absolutely. Really it, it's, I don't think there's more than five scenes in this without score. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I agree. There's a constant momentum that is propelled by the score. Yeah. Like it's 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 people walking and talking in hallways, which is can be very exciting as Aaron Sorkin has showed us. But yeah, the score makes it feel like you're 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 on the edge of your seat the entire time. So even though it is a three hour film, I don't think it felt more than like two hours two hours yeah. 15 i know, know it yeah. and to me it felt like in theater i was like with the movie it was this long it yeah didn't feel this long yeah, yeah, yeah. but what i appreciated as well um on my second watch um when they did like the early scenes of like the interrogation of strauss and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Oppenheimer at the beginning i was like because on your first watch, you don't know that like that's gonna be like big, pa- big part yeah. of of Act Three. You don't know and that they're gonna splice together an interrogation scene mm-hmm. with a bomb going off. Right. Like, that doesn't. So, on the second watch, really appreciated that that mm-hmm. setup. It definitely didn't feel like a three-hour movie to me at all either. But I think something that we're all kind of, kind of, to use your word again, alluding to here mm-hmm. is. It's the build-up of how they did the storytelling. Like, a lot of the time you find when there are these movies with all of these cut scenes and whatever, it can get almost too intellectualized. But again, you know, showing his imagination, all of that stuff. There was a... You guys are the experts. You can tell me how, but how it impacted me was there was a weird kind of pacing to this movie that it... I think because it's something that we all are invested in in some way, shape, or form. Like, we know what what you know a nuclear bomb is mm-hmm. it kind of 
got you invested in thinking about it. So even by the time we got to the point of the bomb going off, I think his choice of the silence, it was perfect mm-hmm. because I think that's the first time in a movie that silence has impacted me two ways at the same time. Usually you get the silence and you're having an emotional reaction to it. Right. Or other times you get the silence and your brain wanders. This time I felt emotional about it, but also I my brain was just flowing back to everything that's happened before, the cut scenes of where this is going. And it's like, it's caught, I think, I don't know, you guys can tell me, but I, I could expect that in each person, that explosion, their experience of watching yeah, that was a little different because it's so clouded by your own thought processes that the movie just kind of elicited in in you yeah. moving mm-hmm. up to that it's just this this real culmination moment that wasn't the end of the movie which yeah. was great yeah so I, I was watching it with someone else too and like we almost got distracted for a second once it was done having a little sideways conversation and like literally it, it really just it was like a come to Jesus moment for the audience, mm-hmm. both about how they feel about what transpired at that time. I'm just trying to figure out where this plot was going. Like, right. what's the subplot going on? Yeah, here? yeah, yeah. So, like, it's a, uh, so we, we briefly discussed this on our best of episode. This was mm-hmm. like my, my favorite film of, of last year. And uh, so I said, like, what's, what's so impressive about, like, just something I was like, A, the silence of it. But, like, when I'm watching that Trinity sequence, in my head, I'm like, I know that this works out well and the experiment mm-hmm. goes fine for yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also in the moment, I when the silence kicked in, I was more like, it's one of the most stressed I've been all year. Mm-hmm. Even yeah. in my, like, I know this works out, but I'm also like, in the moment, I'm so in tune with the characters. Mm-hmm. I too, I'm like, oh, fuck, what if this doesn't work out? I like mm-hmm. perfectly... Like when, mm. Well, they have this thing throughout the movie kind of looming over the test itself. Not even the dropping of the bomb, just yeah. the test. That there is a chance you press that button and that annihilates near's, near's all near's life near's. on Earth. Yeah. right? And uh, yeah, that great scene, which I was so happy they put it in the trailers. It's where um, the Oppenheimer is saying to Matt Damon's Groves, character, Groves. Uh, Groves. And, and well, he, he's essentially like... I would say Oppenheim was like military liaison uh, and, and his boss. He's, he's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's the guy, he's, he's just like, hey, you know, everything's going to go right with this, right? Like, this is just a Everything's test. super chill about this bomb, right? You know, this is a sprint test, right? We're not actually going to launch a product mm-hmm. right now. And Oppenheimer is like, yeah, the chances of nuclear annihilation are near zero. Yeah. And he's like, we mm-hmm. may light the atmosphere on fire, yeah. but whatever, bro. What do you mean by near zero? Like, you know, and it's, it's, he's, like, he's like, well, that's, that's theoretical that's, physics for you. Exactly. That's a really like scientist sort of thing. Yeah. Like, um, I know in my job, well, there's a lot of dark humor that can, that mm-hmm. can happen yeah. based on it. Like, mm, but well. I got that sense watching it because they were all of the same mind. Like they were taking right. bets on who would, and, and he mentioned it in the movie as just, you know, this is how they cope. This is kind of the catharsis of doing something mm. like this. Um, but yeah, when they are about to press the bomb, it is very tense. Not to mention, you got fucking Josh Drake Peck and there. Josh. <laughs> Drake and Josh. That kind of that kind of broke me out of like a little bit. I, yeah, like, yeah. I had to, like, my my disbelief comes like, wait, is that Josh? Yeah. Um, and and you know he's the one who has to be pressing the button, and it has to be at the right time for the countdown. And yeah, there is that like, I know it works out. Everything's gonna be fine. But man, like. I'm feeling like I would be in that bunker with the goggles on. Yeah. Uh, you got Benny Safdie putting on like suntan 50 lotion. gallons of suntan lotion. Like the amount of 
preparation that these people are having for this moment is putting me at edge knowing exactly how it works out and that is very impressive to do in a biopic yeah, mm-hmm. it's, yeah it's, uh, it's so funny like i think this is the perfect movie because it's technically three movies mm-hmm. the first act is your standard science science biopic mm-hmm. right here is this important scientist learn his education this is where he went to he school, school this is how he became Oppenheimer here's the Gallis here is Albert Einstein this is how he here's, gets his final costume Al- here's Neil Bohr's here's all these important people you should learn yeah and then like enter Matt Damon as General Groves and they're like hey buddy I'm putting together a team to pull off a big job all of a sudden it's a heist film mm-hmm. movie 2 heist film we're building a bomb we're, get, we're getting a team together but don't fight, tell anybody they are yeah, a socialist yeah, yeah, yeah we're, fight, we're fighting all the specialists we're like, and then they're like oh is there a spy in the middle of it like we gotta cut out all the communists we gotta and that's, and that's and that's act 2 is now movie 2 and then so like the Trinity test goes off and me a big dummy in the theater and I'm like Whoa, that is like one of the most impressive endings of a movie I've ever seen. I guess uh-huh. they're off to just like launch the bomb now. Mm. And I'm like, well, I guess the movie's wrapping up. They're clearly there's nothing else. And Nolan is like, fuck you, nigga. Act three. And you're like, what do you mean, act three? And all of a sudden, you realize, oh no, act three slash movie three is now an intense court, court, mm. like, like mm-hmm. court, court movie. And I'm like, oh, I didn't even realize we were still in the court drama. And it's so amazing that now act three him being pressured like by like mccarthy era um um american red government mm-hmm. red scare is now the actual fallout right. of like all of his actions mm-hmm. throughout there and that was all of a sudden more stressful than the actual bomb itself i was so impressed that he like won up to me when i thought like he had already done his his ps resistance because that's something that i've like i noticed in the film that there's a lot of like delay of like the boom yeah. in the movie so like they do it at the trinity test where not even just the flash of light mm-hmm. it's when he's doing his congratulatory speech yeah. mm-hmm. that is when that you hear the see. boom yes, yeah. with that's when you get the effects of the effects bomb. so i it, and i i like that it's alluding to like an actual nuclear bomb where you'll see the flash mm-hmm. And you're not going to feel the shockwave and you're not going to feel the yeah, heat for yeah. a, quite a long time because but light and sound move so much differently. So let me put something to you, right? Was this movie really about the Manhattan Project and nuclear bombs, whatever? Because to me, so my favorite book is Lord of the Flies. Mm-hmm. It mm. was cohesive from start to finish because especially in the political climate we're in now, you know, everybody is so divisive. Everybody wants to be right about their stance. Um, and then the stances are just proliferating, all of that stuff. I saw this movie as, you know, a start to finish exploration of, you know, power. Mm-hmm. How, you, how you decide or don't decide to engage in it. The yeah. consequences yeah, of yeah, yeah. not engaging in it. And then what happens uh. when other people you know paint something onto you just how hard it is to not be you know not to have a a specific stance um and i think i went through just the gamut of things that we discuss in the current climate from you know if you are not with us you are against us Mm -hmm. and so you know bam went through the three acts there was a if you're not with us then we'll tolerate you then if you're not with us you're against us and then if you continue to not choose for yourself, but you're just kind of trying to, you know, play both give, sides. Play both, not even see even the fact that you said that mm-hmm. you are relying on what society tells you. It's called a government society, mm-hmm. or just you know, 
um, your personal leanings. You, you just want to do some good. You want to stop this war. When you lean to that, then it's still like, okay, you're a coward now because you're, you're still not with us, whichever one of the us it wants to be. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes at the end now, people painting onto you what they want to see. And I like that. I mean, I don't, I purposefully didn't bother to go look into history or any mm-hmm. of that. But what I walked away from it with is still a sense of mystery of what this man's intentions were. And I think that that's great because I think human nature is that your intentions flow through time. I do think there were probably moments when he was dealing with actor whose name I don't remember because I only remember Lawrence because he's a hot guy on a movie and I haven't <laughs> seen that man since I was like 12 and was in love with him. Bam, who Josh that? Hartnett. Oh my God. He was in that movie with the girl sure, and sure. something yeah. about sex oh, uh, and they were in... Anyway, yeah, love him. Love him. <laughs> but the guy who was working on the H-bomb, like even thinking back to it, there were moments where I do believe that it may have been a saving the world is is my thing like i created los alamos mm-hmm. i don't think it was ever a strong feeling in him if i'm just going by how the movie portrays him but there were moments where it felt like you know maybe he really in that moment was trying to maintain control but then there were other moments where it's like maybe in that moment he was more thinking about the consequences and just like einstein at the end you know maybe he was standing against this not not standing in the way of, but he was not actively participating mm-hmm. so much in this H-bomb thing because like Einstein, he belatedly, well, Einstein realized early, but he belatedly realized like Einstein that you are starting something that you have no control of. Mm-hmm. And whereas for his personality, maybe that felt good initially. I have somebody to cast aside the blame on. Mm. started realizing that, no, that's just not going to cut it. So maybe yeah. I rambled a bit here. No, 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 no. no, 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 no there's there's lots there to, to unpack. No, that's fine. I saw this movie oddly as like the relationship between science and politics. Mm-hmm. So like Act One is like the courting of science and politics, right? Like 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 he's a like he's a scientist and he's kind of flirting with like, oh, I want to get into like political parties and stances. So let me help out the Communist Party. That that, mm-hmm. that sounds good. Like oh, the American government wants me. Like oh, well you can't you can't be with the Communist Party right. without. And in Act Two is just like I'm fully working with the government. Science and government, science and politics don't marry like a mm-hmm. marriage. Like you pay, you pay for the Manhattan Project, right? Mm-hmm. We will do everything. You pay for everything, and that is that. And then the bomb going off is like the what we call it, the, the culmination of the relationship. Right. And then Act Three is like the divorce when they're like, okay, we no longer need you. Like, 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 yeah. like, like. like your, your science has gone right up to the point where we don't like what you're mm-hmm. now saying. But there's a and specific there's, moment there's where that happens where um, Oppenheimer is yeah, like, yeah. do you want me to go with you to Washington? And Groves is just like, why right. Why would you? Yeah. Right. You're done, you, 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 you did the thing like, I wanted yeah. to do. You're a freelance. You're not a full-time employee. Contract work only. But, you know, I saw the seeds of that even earlier. Than oh, that yeah, scene. yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. A beauti- two beautiful scenes for me that stuck with me was when he was standing up at the window in the military outfit mm-hmm. and that was the part of the story arc where you could see that he was fully embracing the soldier's mentality that i am just a tool mm-hmm. i have no responsibility in this and then his friend tells him you know take, take it off you're not right. a soldier you're a scientist. but then the 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 for me, an excellent moment was when he was there with the president and he said to him, the blood of these people is in is on my hands. Mm. And when the president responded, no, it's not. It's on mine. You saw and I'm fine that, with that moment. 
he was not comforted. Yeah. The thing that all along he was working with that should have comforted him, I am just a tool. Yeah. When he was put back in his place and reminded him he was a tool, it didn't solve his conscience. Yeah. No. Because, yeah. because it's one thing to call yourself a tool, but at the end of the day, you've got your feelings that you've got to wrestle with. Yeah. You've got right. your your responsibility as much as people might not have accredited him at the time and might have said this was the American mm -hmm. government and they're not going to know the scientists that made it. Mm -hmm. He still has to live with the fact that well, they wouldn't really have been able to do that if not for me. Like I was, I was him in that moment. And you said something interesting. Uh, I, it's like, as you guys were talking, I had to make notes because you said something else I wanted to talk, talk about as well. Um, but you talked about the, the movie kind of being about power and its relationship with, with, you know, the people who are responsible for that and, you know, sidestepping that responsibility in certain ways. Because, as you mentioned, I think Oppenheimer might have had, you know, there's a sense of ego about it, right? He, he would like to be that guy. He would like to be the father of the atom bomb and have people, you know heralding him through the streets he, he, as he as they lift him up when the trinity test goes off like he's being you I know upheld like by the scientific community literally the character of Oppenheimer that they paint in, in, yeah. in the movie is more of a person who he he wants to do science yeah he wants to do interesting right. things and he does he sees the Manhattan Project as well at when he when he when he's rejected because of his communist connections mm -hmm. he has an intense feeling of fomo mm -hmm. and then yep. he basically throws away all of all of his ideals and stuff um because he just uses politics as you know he finds it interesting just yeah. an intellectual he doesn't really have any real feelings what he really wants is to be acknowledged yeah. for his science mm -hmm. and and i think you guys are kind of getting towards it like when he speaks to truman and he realizes that oh mm -hmm. shit the science that i did yeah actually has consequences yeah. uh and then he's like yeah but at the time you're all for it because no. right yeah. no 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 that's an important point right because if you look at through the development of the trinity project right when they're at los alamos um they're always um like consecutive scenes where you know, all of the physicists are assembled in a room mm -hmm. and it's like a kid in a candy store situation where mm -hmm. they're not yep. necessarily thinking about the outcome right, in right. terms of the um, utilitarian sense or anything. They're just enjoying the process. Yeah. yeah you know, the they're like, yo, like, this is fun as hell. Even the, even the, when the prospect of, you know, dealing with the consequences is brought up. Exactly. He's just like, we got to do this. Yeah. And there's a sense of like, almost like joy about it. Like sure. he, he yeah. wants no, to see it done. No, they, they, they're, they're scientists, so they enjoy doing the science, and they're like, "Oh, we're giving mass resources right. to the next turn. That's very interesting on a base scientific level. But like, even as like Los Alamos is just being built, and he's still in the soldier uniform, mm. and like Rabbi, his friend comes up to him, and Rabbi says that perfect line of like when he invites him to be on the project. Mm. Rabbi gives that perfect line of like, "I don't want three hundred years of quantum mechanics to right. culminate in a weapon of mass destruction." Right. Mm -hmm. And and then I think he responds basically just saying like. We're scientists. We just do the thing. It's not our responsibility what happens after we do the science. Our job is just to do that. So I think he know he outright knows, but like he said, his ego and his like want to There's be self delusion there. Figure of science yeah. is just like, but I'm being. He's, he's like, a, I think I know best how to run this project, mm -hmm. and b, I can be, I can do something important and right. have my name on the. So just as records. a quick aside, so I'm glad you brought that up about about Rabbi because Rabbi kind of acts as 
Oppenheimer's kind of conscience. Yeah. He, that, that, that's his Alfred. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, funny enough, um, what Robbie actually is famous for. Are you giving he, us history facts? Yes, I'm okay. giving you science history facts. So nice. So His love of bread. No, yeah, his love of bread. <laughs> but actually, all right. So, as opposed to Oppenheimer, who is famous for um, being leader of um, the Manhattan Project. Uh, Robbie is actually famous for being the um, pioneer for NMR. And NMR is what is used in like um, MRIs and all of that. Mm. So his science was actually used to like cure, cure people, to heal people. Yeah. Whereas like Oppenheimer is to hurt, kill people. people yeah. So I, I kind of love how they, it wasn't actually stated in the movie, but I, as a no. science nerd, yeah, 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 yeah. you kind of no. appreciate it because yeah. Robbie is like the, the, the angel on his, on his well, shoulder. Well, I mean, is that incidental though? Because the reason why I said that is, you remember when they found out that they, um, I think they're picking up radiation like off the coast of Germany or something exactly. like that. Mm -hmm. And they were inquiring about it and they're like, yo, do the Nazis, you know, have a nuclear program? And they found that they did, but it wasn't for a weapon. It was, just you know, for, for building reactors, power, for right. energy. You know, uh, you know, just, you know, kind of playing a thought experiment out. You know, the similar thing could have, it, it could have flipped the switch and it could have been the opposite where, you know, how history played out is, you know, the Americans playing around with um with nuclear energy want to just build reactors, whereas it so it's Nazi Germany that made the weapons. Yeah. Um so you know that's something you have to consider. Obviously you factor in the people's personalities of who developed these things and you know where it can carry it. But you know, easily with just the wrong person hearing the wrong idea, you know, can cause such a but, cascade. But that's also right. there's a so, go ahead. So I I I love that you went there because that's where my mind was going to to just bring bring to the table. I'm sure we all saw it, but going back to to how um, people function with power. So I think very on the surface we can all see okay he's given money and we will equate that with power. So the scientists are there, kid in the candy store, playing around and whatever. And, you know, we've spoken about the mental justification that I'm just following orders. But then there's another one. Mm -hmm. um, just as he said, when they started talking about, you know, picking up the tests in mm -hmm. Russia. Remember that had he not done this, someone else may very well have. Oh, and it didn't have to be the Russians either. Remember that there was that other team that was working below the football field, scissored or something like that. The ones yeah. that were for me, yeah, those guys Fermi, that yeah. were um, trying to get him to petition the president after. So that's like another level because there's the the power that money gives you, but then he also had a power of knowledge. Where, as you were just saying, you know, the personalities of the people. Uh, I have the knowledge to do this, but so do other people. Maybe not as quickly or whatever. But even in agreeing to do this thing, he maintained a sense of control, not just for himself of it, but for America, for what he considered to be the greater good. So it, it just comes back again to this question of how do you look at people in power, mm -hmm. whether it's actual authority, ostensible authority, actual authority or authority that you think they have, mm -hmm. or authority that they gain by power, knowledge, money, what, well, sorry, by money or knowledge. When we look at those people, like I just think this movie really so beautifully went through in one likable character, quite frankly, all of the ways that you can, they really struggle 
to make yeah, decisions. And it's all about the interpretation that you put on them sometimes because he never gave us uh, in in the 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 monkey hearing, the trial, the sham trial, you know, at the kangaroo court, as Edwards, I think it was, as he said, you know, he did not think that Oppenheimer was a disloyal person, but he found his motivations too difficult to decipher, and for mm-hmm. that reason, he didn't want him to be in power. Okay, he so never gave so, us any indication. so that well, that that plays into a few things there, because I'm I'm glad when when we both wanted to speak, I had a feeling you're gonna say the same thing. It's that call to morality that is used as a motivation where it's just like, hey, if we don't do this, somebody else might. Um, and and like... No, once they split the atom, it's like, okay, nigga, get on. Right. Mm-hmm. Gotta yeah, once one is done because, because he... But no, it never ends. Right, exactly, exactly. Because it's that chain reaction that they're talking about. Um, okay, you want peace? What is the cost of peace? Exactly. Yes. And and he's, he's there like on his chalkboard saying, oh no, this can't be done. And they have a newspaper article saying, Nigga, it was just done, Love. right? Like, it, we're off to the races already. Um, but the thing that you were saying about, you know, people not really feeling comfortable with what his motivations were, and that's exactly, as you said earlier, how you as the audience member is coming out of it, where you learn so much, I learned so much more about Oppenheimer, the Manhattan Project, all these different people than I did before going into the movie. And I still do not have a definitive conclusion of the person who Oppenheimer was, mm-hmm. what he wanted, because it it shifting. Can three hours really define a person's life? Well, the, especially when it shifts through time in different segments of his life. So there's the person who you are when you are young. There's a person who you are when you're at the height of your powers, running your first major team. Mm-hmm. And then there's a person who you are after that. And it's like, each of these kind of have shades of a personality that is present throughout. Like the, the, the ego, the want for attention is there throughout the entire... Even after the bomb goes off and he's turning Robert Downey Jr. into a clown in front of all of his yeah. friends, mm-hmm. there's that sense of showboating that has been there from the beginning yeah. when he wanted to poison his teacher, which apparently may or may not have happened. That's the one thing that his... I think his grandson Some, yeah. came out and just like, hey, listen. He didn't poison he no didn't, apples. Look, he might have killed all those people in Japan. <laughs> but don't right? you dare slander my <laughs> not poison the apple <laughs> nobody said the apple happened that's not in any record um but yeah that that feeling of i don't know much about this dude and the unease that you have about you know having someone like that be so ambiguous because you know he's in a position of immense power to develop to live to deliver this thing to the world you kind of want that person to just be an outright good person mm-hmm. but people are complicated right. he was are. yeah Wait, so i I just want to have like one little silly moment of just my own artistic neurons jumping around thing. As you were speaking, I just saw something for the first time. The synchronicity of life and in storytelling, it's amazing because you just spoke about the chain reaction and there are two chain reactions in this movie. Yeah. Both equally destructive. Right. The one that was visualized with, you know, if we like if we do this, it may light the atmosphere. You mean on the fire. test mm-hmm. itself the causing test. an actual chain reaction right. of, of atoms being lit and on it's fire. It's like, what's the chance? It's it's near zero, but it's not zero. Mm. And then the chain reaction that we watched happen from well, they I I don't know scientific history, but the insinuation that Einstein saw this coming. 
and so stopped. It's not that he didn't understand what he was doing. He understood it better than everyone else, what his research, sorry, could have started. Yeah. <laughs> and then seeing someone pick it up and start his chain reaction and yeah. I just but, but that's a non-stoner moment the, the, of that's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's the line at the end, which is makes it one of the most chilling yeah, endings in a movie right. where he says to Albert Einstein, I believe we did actually start that chain right. reaction. Yeah, it is, yeah, he's right. Sorry, I forget mm-hmm. No, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. It, we're used to people who forget the movie and then have their own narrative. You, you actually said what was in the movie, so it's fine. Um... Uh, what was I gonna say? Oh, your thing now, right? You mm-hmm. talked about them like he, not showing the bomb and it kind of being more like how it was when a bomb actually goes off, right? Right, it, right. It goes off for a second and you don't really feel it and you feel the aftermath of it. There were people who have issues with the fact that the actual bomb explosion wasn't shown, right? Mm-hmm. And I understand the reasoning as to why they didn't show it because this movie is supposed to be. Fully from Oppenheimer's Fully perspective. Fully from, from Oppenheimer's perspective. perspective. And you're locked into him the entire time. Like, he is the person whose perspective you're seeing the entire well, movie well, through. I mean, yeah, 90, 95% of it is Oppenheimer. Right. Otherwise, it's Strauss. Strauss. You yeah. see some mm-hmm. of Strauss's yeah. perspective. But he wasn't in Japan either. Um, but there's calls now for Nolan to direct a horror film. Because of that one scene where he he, speech, yeah. he's in the, the arena, the basketball room, whatever, right, right. and he's giving a speech to everybody, and they're cheering because the bomb actually went that off. That was his horror scene. Mm-hmm. He right? did it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like, you're, you're in the middle of it, there's this air-shattering scream, yeah. and like the whole room falls silent. Yeah, it becomes then, like an Ari Aster film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And then you start to see like skin peeling off of people, yeah. screams. That was Nolan's actual daughter. That was his actual way. daughter. Oh, oh, the yeah. He's uh, just like he's just like I really want to like put on film my disgust for yeah. the bomb. So I'm gonna have it be my daughter having her. So, mom, I, I want to ask you Flora, a specific question. Flora Nolan, Flora Nolan, who was also in Interstellar as girl on truck. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, I um in that scene when you know when it starts getting shaky. Rumbling, yeah. Um, I was wondering if they did that um, practically. Yeah, yeah. It was in camera, mm-hmm. so they were shaking the background. Yeah. And okay, okay, Whoa. that's cool. But but um, the another thing I wanted. To, well, d- so I thought that scene was probably the most effective of the movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, the bomb is great, the interrogation is great. There's lots of great sequences in the movie, but that's the one that I would be laying awake at uh, night. Top, top yeah, top three scenes: Trinity yeah. test, um, speech. Yeah. And um, my boy, uh, Robbie Rob, going, did you or did you not? Yeah. And the blaring light on yeah. more. Yeah. <laughs> to, to um, <laughs> but I also wanted to talk about, you mentioned, you were talking earlier about, um, you know, the movie being about power and people's relationship with it and their responsibility when they, you know, are, are in control of power. Um, one could say great power comes with great responsibility. But... You know, good line. <laughs> <laughs> someone should put that in something, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But I think... Nolan was probably the best person to make this movie um, because a lot of his work includes that kind of analysis of power. He's been mm. yeah, he's been leading to this like his whole career. Like, yeah, pretty much every one of his films are essentially about like has science gone too far? Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> kind, because, of, kind of a thing. And, and not just that, but just like that idea of um, sacrificing the few for the good of the many, mm-hmm. right? Like you look at the batman movies yeah yeah, (laughs) Yeah. what what is and you always have that kind of dubious figure who makes that tough call Mm -hmm. but what what's interesting about oppenheimer is that his movies typically have that character as almost like pseudo antagonists 
Whereas Oppenheimer, they're, they're, you're he's front and center with that yeah. person. He's the protagonist. Yeah. So, like in, um, I, I suppose the only exception would be in like The Dark Knight, right? Where um, Bruce Wayne, in the search for the Joker, decides he's going to tap into everybody's phone. Sure. This is before we knew that they were still, they're doing that now. Mm-hmm. You know, your phone is a microphone and can give you a location. Well, the prestige to, as he, well, he, he, because he the protagonist. Yes, he's he killing himself. Bush. Right, yeah. Oh, that yeah, as well. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so, but yes, th- that's a good point. There are those other instances where you've got your main character in a Nolan film who is kind of making this morally dubious choice. And there's that decision of is this for the greater good or is this just this character's ego? Like, is this just Batman? you know, feeling like his messiah complex of he has to be the one to save Gotham and therefore it is okay for him to do this. Um, But at the end of the day, invading people's privacy, pretending that you are God and, you know, people are your playthings. So I thought this was like the, the, the culmination of him telling stories like that, Nolan telling those types of stories of people and their relationships with power. Um, he's fully completed his directorial arc. Yeah, he can he can quit now. Yeah, he's done. Although no, he... not before Tenet Part Two, my guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tune it. But so that also plays into that character of Louis Strauss, who has this like seething jealousy of Oppenheimer and almost wanting the legacy that he has, but doesn't have that kind of control over power. Like yeah. he he's in a position where he has to be elected he has to manipulate things he has to kind of court power but I, not I saw, actually I, 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 wield I, I, it. I, I saw it perfectly as like um Oppenheimer's science Louis Strauss is politics right mm-hmm. yeah and science is like big picture situation mm-hmm. yeah right like like literally the, the final scene is him like staring off into the distance and being like fuck I did start a chain reaction that will lead yeah. to countries destroying the world like mm-hmm. obviously this is more than likely where it's going I really fucked up. And, and him and Armstein are having like literally the weight of the world destroyed on their shoulders. And Bam, here is comes this, is this petty most... bitch ass nigga Strauss yes. <laughs> come around the corner like, hey, why did, why did, uh, why did Einstein diss me in front of this guy? Yeah. And then he lives his whole life trying to get back that one exactly. petty thing. Yeah. And that is politics essentially. Like people come into power Petty people come into power to destroy like, like, like people underneath them mm. more, more than likely. And that is what yeah. it is. So like he's living his whole life just to get this moment where he's been, was he, he's Secretary of Commerce, I believe. He was, he was yeah, right, yeah. yeah, he's living his whole life to get it. And like, to do this, he throws Oppenheimer under the bus mm-hmm. first chance he gets. Mm-hmm. And, and like, I know that he's coming to like blow up in his face. Yeah, but, but it's, it's like, yeah. so it's, it's very funny that we weren't even talking about him in that moment, yeah. but he just has this perception that those niggas were talking about me. Yeah. And it makes it his own entire motivation. Right. Um, and then goes to show that no, it we didn't have anything to do with you. Yeah, uh, it wasn't even you weren't even talking about Like, who are you again? <laughs> I think I think worse. I think because like Strauss, like they can they kind of portray it really well as mm. in like people who overthink things. Like um, when he's first introduced to him and he's trying to impress. Um, Oppenheimer. Yeah, he's just like, like we got hey, this, we got, we got that. that. We got yeah. the housing you, over there. You can do whatever you want. And Oppenheimer is just these beautiful lawns. Yeah, and and I think what I loved about it is that Oppenheimer doesn't even realize that he's being dismissive of him. No, yeah, because yeah, he's, he's just like above it, right, exactly because he's playing it off as a joke because he's talking to him 
um kind of like a scientist where he's making his kind of jokes and 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 kind of downplaying the importance of it yeah whereas because like, if you're a science on the most important thing in the world up because like his like, colleagues mm. would yeah. get that he's just making a joke but yeah. strauss just takes it so Personal. personally yeah. so and, and and i like i think bam spoke about it in terms of the difference between a scientist and a politician mm-hmm. where a politician will take like the smallest slight and and and, like and blow it up yeah. and then a scientist would be like small and what's particularly powerful of how they do it in the film is i mean the reality of the situation right is politics you know and science you can't really divide them or you know mm-hmm. one is always going to overlap at, at least a little bit with the other and they juxtapose them quite well with those two characters because yeah I mean, we use the word power dry, right? But to step back and look at it, you know, at least in the scope of the film, you know, the pursuit of power as a means versus the pursuit of power as an end is seen in those two characters. And I mean, yes, Oppenheimer did want it. You know, he wanted to bask in the glory and so, but they still did always inject scenes where he had a genuine curiosity to see where all of this research went in, especially yeah, mm-hmm. as a theorist who cannot do experiments. You realize on people that, you know, work with practical materials, or engineers that build things, you know, and that always drove him, you know, what exactly the hell is going to happen? Yeah. You know, are any of our calculations even accurate any at all? Or are we just wasting what our time do? building duds? <laughs> exactly, yeah, what does this button do? I think the, fu- the funny thing about Oppenheimer that, um, just to plug, like, uh, a YouTube video that I watched, um, so 60, 60 Symbols by uh, with Brady Harren. Uh, so Great they demand. did a, a lovely episode on, on, on Oppenheimer. So one of the points that was brought up about Oppenheimer is that he's really good at um, why he's such a good theoretical f- physicist because he's very good at imagining, as, as Randy right. brought up. But he's, ter- he's absolutely useless um, as a practical, um, uh, as an experimental. And he's also really bad at math as well because yeah. um, the joke is from the video is that Oppenheimer's ideas are really good but his calculations are always wrong right so I kind of um another point of the um video was that they brought up like four of Oppenheimer's like really big papers that he did um none of them got him a Nobel Prize and they all got Nobel prizes for all the other people who built on that work mm. and as a science he made the base, he he made the base but so, so he made it a hotline they made it a hot song <laughs> <laughs> so um i think bam kind of mentioned to why as we were watching the movie it's like steven this must be like movie nerd like like science, science nerd it's like yeah. pouring because like in the first like 10 minutes, they bring out all these big scientists. You got my boy, Edward Teller. You got my boy, Niels Bohr. So I have it written down. You got my boy. So all these guys, all these guys have Nobel Prizes. So you have um, his teacher, um, Patrick um, Blacken. Mm-hmm. You have Niels Bohr. You have Einstein, of course. You have Max Born. You have Ernest Lawrence. Um <laughs> You have Enrico Fermi. Um, uh, you have Heisenberg. You have Rabbi. You have Alvarez. Um, Lawrence is a yo. They got Alvarez. Yeah, Alvarez. All those guys have Nobel prizes except for Oppenheimer. Oh man. 
and a lot of so and like even Oppenheimer was a guy who he's like one of the first people to like think about like black holes and stuff and you know how many people have gotten Nobel prizes based on his ideas so yeah well you know who has a movie named after them alone that's what i was going to Oppenheimer. i was like yeah. there's all these big scientists and Maybe like well, to be fair, I mean, Heisenberg like me. was the main character of Breaking Bad. He was. <laughs> he was. Yeah. Amy's upon Amy's. <laughs> so, yeah. like taking it, I'm still in, you know, this just being essays on human nature in its own way. Mm-hmm. Um, and Randy, you were speaking about, you know, um, power and and actual, like, sorry, applied power. Right. And then we we're talking about theoretical physics and applied physics. I want to talk about Strauss a little bit more there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because, so, Strauss obviously the bad guy of this movie. We figure it out at the end. No. I think he, I think his character was so good again at helping you to see the complexity as Oppenheimer. It was a great tool to to not have the audience get comfortable in believing he's just this all-around great guy. Mm-hmm. It really let you question it brought to question Oppenheimer's motives, but also like, you know, talking about the difference between a politician and a scientist and Randy was saying how they overlap again, it says in human nature. So you have somebody who is looking at the forest and I think it's easy to look at it and say, Oh, here's this little petty, small man, this lowly shoe salesman that is going to get up and say, I'm not lowly, you know, I'm I'm Mm -hmm. a shoe salesman. And go, well, you know, the trees aren't important. But then throughout the movie, we have a third character that's showing us that, you know, even though you're going to end up finding Iron Man to be heinous <laughs> at the end of this, the trees matter. Mm-hmm. And that was the one, Groves? Groves. Groves. Mark, Matt, Damon? Matt Damon? Matt Damon. There you go. Mm-hmm. Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. Don't quote me. Man, <laughs> this movie with Mark Wahlberg <laughs> is a different fucking film. <laughs> <laughs> I need to see that one. Um, uh, was it Bass, the, the the head of security at Los Alamos? Oh, Casey Affleck. Oh, Casey Affleck. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, yeah. but they made a point. There were so many points where they made a point of calling him naive, and I will say I took exception to that. I never, and I still don't. Groves, only, calling Groves naive. No, calling Oppenheimer naive. Ah, uh-huh, yeah, okay. Um, and so just taking a moment to say I never thought he was naive in mm. any of this. I think it's there's a concept called reckless disregard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So where you have yeah, an yeah. inclination yeah. that something is happening, but you because you're looking at the forest, yeah. you're not gonna deal with that tree because you're so focused on an outcome. Yeah. So mm-hmm. pulling all of what I've said That's together, a really good analysis yeah. of it. Because be, yeah. it, it is very easy to look at it as just, oh, he just didn't know any better. It's like, nah, he's too smart for that, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Right. So so to pull everything I'm saying together, you have Strauss and it's so easy to paint him as a petty man and i love how they used this petty man to show the complexity of oppenheimer but then there's that third kind of angel on your shoulder protector kind of character in groves yes who there were so many points where groves shows that because of society not necessarily just well no because of society you do need somebody who is seeing the trees Somebody who will get up and say, I would never have put you in a room with that man. Mm-hmm. Lives were in danger yeah. before this bomb even got built because you were in a room with Pashmina, whatever that guy was, right? Oh, the, the guy, pa- I love his voice. Who is he? Chevalier? Chevalier? Who no, about? the guy who was asking Oppenheimer to give up Chevalier. So oh, Pash. Yeah, man. Yeah, Pash. Yeah, yeah. He was running security mm-hmm. and Groves was yeah. like, you should never have met him. Like, the, there there was a sense of naivety there, but I wouldn't call it naivety. Again, it's having, 
you know, your head in the clothes. I think it's sometimes need to be on the ground. And he just wasn't he wasn't naive, but he wasn't seeing those things. So I just want to point that out to say that, you know, it's not that like politicians have to be petty necessarily or that like looking into the the forest is the best thing. And I personally am a forest person as well. But, you know, to quote Paramore. Keep your feet on the ground when your head's in the clouds, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you need somebody there. But again, it comes down, as Randy said, to personality, ethics, morals, like people that play well together. And I think Groves was that character. Yeah. I think there was a sense of, like, Oppenheim is also like, listen, the, the Germans are the enemy, right? Like, right. we all agree on this. Yeah. The Russians, are, aren't they our allies? And he's and it been because he's, like, cool with the communists and everything, he's just like, you you guys are gonna be petty about this. You do realize we need like all hands on deck. Mm-hmm. So like, but the, but the American government is still like, listen, we're fighting the Germans, but we know in advance sure. we're fighting mm-hmm. the Russians. And he's just like, no, no, the Russians are our friends. Like we need to, and like I don't think he can really distinguish at that point because you're right, he is seeing the grand scheme of everything. Mm-hmm. So he's just like, no, no, we need these guys, but the American government is already like. But I think it's know, it's. Like, like, that we have scene, our own thing in the background of this. Now. That whole interrogation scene and like um, Groves on the train speaking to him at the same time. I think it's it, it really does show you that, yes, Oppenheimer is this brilliant guy. But there are other things that he's not an expert on exactly. that he thinks because he's a smart person, yeah. he can outthink his way out of it. Yeah. So especially when Groves is like, isn't it obvious like you you gave this guy all this information just from like um not saying something he can infer because that's what he's good at right right, when you're not yeah that part of the plot kind of came to a head too i I don't want to i don't want this to be downplayed but i'm just spoke about i think you're talking about the scene when he finally got to meet with the secretary of war and he was even okay maybe you weren't so <laughs> the the scene where he got to meet with the secretary of war he was in the room groves was in the room um this guy is there and he even mentions that schwitz <laughs> was trying to get a petition together to speak to the president siller right so that scene even in that moment, you know, you see Oppenheimer kind of sheepishly trying to be like, okay, but like, are there other things we can do? Like, what if we don't? And I don't think it's, I don't think that scene was about him being silenced at all. I think it showed that despite how smart he was and wanting to avoid this thing, he could not answer what was being thrown at him in that room because now we have another forest of issues coming up as bam said yeah okay we're trying to fight the nazis but in that room you had military generals that were going yeah but russia going to be a problem next right. so cut off that way out it it really showed to me again that you know we can get enamored in this movie with the science of it and whatever but but you also need people that know human beings, mm-hmm. know human Absolutely. nature, that know manipulation, that are looking at the other aspects of everything. So, yeah, yeah it's not yeah, just man. petty politician. It's, it's society. That, and that's the core of it, right? Because before anybody is a politician or a scientist, you're a human being. Yeah. Right? And there's a lot of baggage and a lot of things that you have to consider with that. Um, that kind of plays it a little bit into the... I think you are alluding to it. I'm not totally sure. But the movie juxtaposes the difference between knowledge and wisdom a lot as well. Stephen yeah. touched on it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. There's this thing in um in a lot of atomics theories classes where teachers will always say it. 
that you know the, the example they use is is from the cold war you know knowledge is knowing how to build a bomb you know but wisdom is knowing whether you should use it or not is echoed you know totally throughout the film and you know the mastery of how nolan tells the film is uh, he doesn't give you anything definitive he leaves it open-ended enough that he starts conversations like what we're having right now yeah so it's not just watching a film really it's it's listening to like a philosophy lecture yeah uh, where yeah. students yeah. having a conversation trying to figure out things everything mm. afterwards because none of this objective there's a lovely, exactly there's yeah a, there's a, there's a, yeah. a lovely conversation he has with um niels bohr we're just like, didn't you ask me that question over yeah. at Princeton? And he's just like, yeah, it's, it's like, why did you ask the same question? Because I didn't like your answer the first time. Right, right. And it's that great because like, yeah, no, man. let's discuss this. Like, like, like I'm going to ask you the same question again a couple years later. Exactly. Yeah. How have you changed since like, Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I, I want to talk, talk about um, the probably pro- some of my favorite stunt casting of all time. Okay. Um, <laughs> where I believe Robert Downey Jr. being cast as Louis Strauss because Tony Stark, right? Yeah. You look at that character, that is essentially uh, a famous weapon maker. A famous weapon maker. So the character of Iron Man is like the mythologized version mm-hmm. of what Oppenheimer mm-hmm. was, right? Like and and even if you look in the Marvel films, um his dad is named as being a part of the Manhattan Project. Mm-hmm. Um and and Tony Stark in those films, he goes through this this change where he looks upon his legacy and decides he's going to make a positive change in the world through mm-hmm. science. And it's it's entirely what Oppenheimer would have liked to become, yes. right? And it's this sense of like, this is how people perceive Oppenheimer in a way where, okay, this bad stuff happened, but you know, at the core of it, he was a scientist and he wants the good for the world. So let's make him into a superhero, right? Yes. If you take Louis Strauss, you could put him in an Iron Man movie as the antagonist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you take the guy who played the mythologized version of Oppenheimer and then you put him in the movie to be his antagonist, yes. to kind of knock him down a peg, to make him to, to, to kind of be that, that figure that says, just because you have the knowledge does not mean you actually have the power. It is the state that has the power. It is the society that has the power. You are not God yourself as this, you know, wielder of fire from the gods as Prometheus onto yes. society, there's, right? Yeah. There's, a, there's, a, there's a second reading of that. Yeah. Um, I like that you said that. Mm. Um, um, there's this reading that says, like, this is maybe Nolan's most personal film mm-hmm. because he is examining a character who did his best to complete a project as well as he could. Right. And then is kind of disappointed in the fallout of his actions afterwards. Mm -hmm. And then, so... Is this about Tenet? No. No, it's just about (laughs) about The Dark Knight. No, no, no. Oh, darn it. Let's cut Mm -hmm. to 2008. Yeah. 2008, it's the summer of The Dark Knight and Mm -hmm. Iron Man. Yep. And that's the weekend those movies come out, things change. Hollywood all of a sudden is just like all hands on deck, superheroes. Mm -hmm. Like we have like a critically acclaimed and like a full on summer blockbuster in both Dark Knight and Iron With with legendary actors like Christian Bale and Uh, Robert Downey Jr. Right. right? And and like the whole like the whole the whole system kind of changes all of a sudden where they're like, hmm, franchises, superheroes, da 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 da. And so like, but Dark Knight though though it came out afterwards mm-hmm. like a month or so after mm-hmm. after Iron Man yeah 
that was the talk of the town, like when that movie came out, and you can see the kind of dismantling of the uh, fifty million dollar adult adult movie, <laughs> like right right yep. upon that moment, yep. you can see the dismantling of it, and so one could read this as like Nolan also being like. Yeah, I helped push that mm-hmm. forward, okay, and yeah. I too, I'm like, I'm like hurting to see like, like, like what, like I worked really hard on that project. I was so proud of that. Yeah. But look what the aftermath of what I've done really from that. So yeah, like, I have become, I have become death destroyer yeah, of yeah, art. Exactly. exactly. No, Nolan yeah. is destroyer of art in yeah, that yeah, sense, exactly. right? Like, so, so him coming on and being like, okay, let me retell that story from the point of view of a person who, who did something. <laughs> ethically similar right sure <laughs> and i'm gonna hire i mean <laughs> what I, I, I don't know i just like <laughs> no it's, 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 it's not yes, it's not exactly the same you know you make billions of dollars making an avengers movie is not the same as killing a billions of people from sure, from sure. you know maybe that wasn't a precise nuclear one. war uh, but yeah I, I get what you're saying but yes but to then hire like the antagonist of that as as the person you shared that guilt right with. yeah yes yeah the guy who who was front and center of that entire wave yes. robert downey jr and making him the antagonist yeah mm-hmm. i yeah because him being in it you know everyone's talking it's similar to how they talked about him when he was in iron man mm-hmm. where you know he went away for a bit prison yeah. mm-hmm. drug use all of that, and then he became this rehabilitated movie star, and he was in a role in Tony Stark where he could kind of play out that exact same story yeah. just on the screen. And then, and there's also about a, like, uh, well, a, a theoretical physicist is a lot like a director. Yeah, like yeah. Mm-hmm. You're, you're you're like you have to, you have to like look at notes, <laughs> look, look at equations, and go like, oh, I, here's how I imagine this playing exactly. out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I maybe I'm not. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not the one doing the special effects, doing the camera work, getting so and so together. But I can give people ideas and push them in the right mm, direction right, right. to get mm. to this idea in my head. Yeah, and that is this exactly what the director does. Yeah. So yeah, he, uh, I can see him really hardcore relating to this character. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's um, I, I just had it and I've lost it. I'm gonna try and keep talking until it comes back to me. <laughs> there it is. Um. Funny thinking about that because when when you know Robert Downey Jr. doing this movie, it feels to a lot of people like he's, you know, putting away the Artistic blockbuster combat. for us yes, for yeah. a second and coming back to the because you know right after Endgame, what did he do? He did do little, right. and it just seemed like maybe he you know did very little. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he did. Um, but it's funny because when I was watching the Golden Globes, and Nolan won for best director, in his speech he mentions. Uh, the last time he was on the Golden Globe stage accepting the awards for Heath Ledger, right? Yeah. And he talks about uh, seeing Robert Downey Jr. in the crowd and getting this kind of like encouraging look from him. Mm-hmm. So it made me go back to that speech, right? Mm-hmm. And watching Christopher Nolan talk about Heath Ledger and everything. It's a great speech. It's really, really well done. Nolan has this way of when he's talking and he seems like he's kind of rambling mm-hmm. and he says like the most impactful words. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, this he knows the narrative that he's yeah. trying to weave mm-hmm. when he opens his mouth. But if you look at Robert Downey Jr. in that clip, mm-hmm. go back and watch it. Look at him in the Golden Globes. The hair is quaffed. Mm-hmm. He's got like the burgundy suit on. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's this full distinguished, yeah. full like just you know, um, really embracing his age in a really graceful way. Mm-hmm. And then you look at him in two thousand eight, 
and he's got like the rock and roll spiky hair mm-hmm. his tie is kind of loose from his shirt like he still is playing up that bad boy image yeah. that he had leading into going into yes, Iron yes, Man yes. so it's quite fascinating to, to look at this movie as kind of like not just a benchmark of Nolan's career but also Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. Um, also Killian Murphy you know him being someone that has always really had this in him mm-hmm. and being the supporting actor in a lot of Nolan movies but also like being the lead in, in a show like Peaky Blinders I saw a lot of his you know work in that show present in Oppenheimer because that, that the s- same way in which he um he rallies all these scientists together and he just tells each of them what they need to hear in that moment. Like some of them need to hear that they'll be remembered forever and the legacy of their work will be echoed into eternity. Some of them need to hear that they're going to be saving the world by stopping the Nazis. Like he just says whatever. And that's exactly what he does in Peaky Blinders. He just manipulates the fuck out of people. Because uh, he just always knows uh, what to say. Also a thing a director has to do. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, apparently, it's true that Nolan doesn't let people sit on his sets. Like that's yeah, a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, yeah. This is like, it's, it's fun. This is this is the third time I watched it last night, mm-hmm. and it's the first time I really like got into Killian's performance of it. Yeah. And like, because the first time I watched it, I was just so overwhelmed by the the whole. I'm just like, this entire movie is just brilliant. That wasn't really parsing through spe- mm-hmm. specifics and then it's really upon this rewatch where I, was, I really narrowed down like what is Killian doing in each scene and so it's it's A he's doing a very good interpretation of the voice of Oppenheimer but it's also like it's I, I, I kept on trying to look at his face while other people were talking mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and like his like, like him trying to like I- interpret each decision each person yeah. around him is doing up, uh, as well as how is this also affecting the grander scheme of things right. and like just and and, and because mo- most things are almost in a wide <laughs> for the entire thing you yeah. kind of get to really peer at him on each decision each body language each like eye twitch yeah, and everything and i was just like i was really encompassing like yeah he does deserve that best actor this year because he has he's in like one of the best films of the year and he is the subject like everyone is there to elevate him he's also and in he's, a lot of it yeah and, yeah. and he's bouncing mm-hmm. off everybody like 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 everybody's serving him and he's just like bouncing right back perfectly yeah like much like the character of oppenheimer himself yeah, like exactly. in, in his role at um, los alamos yeah um something i wanted to touch on also is uh, i was speaking with my cousin about this and i think i said this on our our best of episode but she said she wasn't really rocking with the movie um, particularly because the woman in the film there's there's not there's not that much material for them that uh, she Jean found very Kitty? compelling mm. yeah I mm. mean so first of all I mean first sex scene ever in IMAX let's sure. give Nolan his props yeah. because Fl- Florence Florence Pipi oh, <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah they, I mean IMAX is typically for action um, sweeping epics uh, you know like do, grand vistas yeah. not really for two people in a bedroom so yeah, you, got some, you got some nice uh, cowgirl happening <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so like there's there's the fact there's there's actually a scene in this movie where oppenheimer is crying because his side chick has mm. ended her own life and he's crying to uh, his in 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 quotes because i mean in quotes uh, oh right oh, yeah because yeah, yeah, yeah. right 
Yeah, yeah. She so, was so, assassinated so, by the American Well, well she's... Okay, so she's died. Yes. And may, may or may not have... Because there's like one... Sp- Splice of a hand, hand yeah, yeah. pushing mm. her head oh, into no, the American woman, a thousand percent murdered yeah. before Gene um, But like, yeah, so so she has died, and and he is crying to his actual wife yeah. about, his, about side his side chick, right? <laughs> Vanessa looks like she has something to say. Oh no, that move. Sorry, that scene. Yeah, stuck with me because like straight throughout, I've been talking about his personality, and I don't think he was naive and. This thing where it's like because he's a forest person, mm-hmm. he's playing like he's paralyzed and trapped in his decisions. And I just love that scene because his wife cut through mm-hmm. it yep. like a knife. You do not get to create this and pretend to be the victim. Mm-hmm. And when she said it, for me, it just echoed through everything else yep. that mm-hmm. was going on. And, you know, as a woman, yes, you know, the movie didn't give the women a lot to go on. I sensed it at the start. I I didn't really like that, you know, the first thing that happens with Gene Tatlock really, you mm-hmm. know, so early out, it's a sex scene, whatever. But I kind of let it go mm-hmm. after a while because I realized that really and truly they were just there to build up on this sense of who he is as a person. Mm. That's what it started to come off as to mm-hmm. me. And then, you know, there's all the questions about his wife and how she should have reacted to his gallusness and, yeah. and all of that stuff. But I, I, you know, leaving that alone, I still like how they portrayed her throat because she was never a fool mm-hmm. for any of what it was. Um, they it was her third marriage. She knows how to work. Yeah, works. her <laughs> third marriage. Um, gotta tell you, man, them kids, even I was just like, mm-hmm. I, I understand why she's not you know, really happy. Yeah. <laughs> and also drinking quite a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, somehow, maybe this speaks more to me than the movie, but I really respected her at the end because she was, to, to me, it made sense that they were together. Yeah. She was such a strong character, which is exactly what somebody like him needs. They're almost throughout the movie, she's just cutting through his bullshit. Right. Mm-hmm. Straight up. Why did you shake his hand? I love the scene as well when, um, you know, he was the... Uh, when he's getting the, his award at the... No, not even not that. Not even that one. But yeah, that too. But for me, the best moment of it, um, again, in the interplay between people and relationships is when he was telling his lawyer, shut up. Mm. Don't talk about her mm-hmm. and putting her on the stand. You are being a child. We are big damn people. Mm-hmm. And I know just generally in society today, you have all these podcasts and stuff with people talking about relationships. And I feel like all of it is so childish. Like I resonated with Oppenheimer in that moment where he was just like, we are big people. Mm. I know my wife. We know what we've been through. We know what's happening. And I think that's like such an important thing for us to hammer home in our heads as adults when yeah. we're looking at people's lives and trying to say what's the right way and who's right and who's wrong i mean yeah maybe some people wouldn't have stayed with him throughout it or whatever but i think he needed her um i don't know to what extent she needed him but this movie was not about that and yeah i i, I just love it's it's similar so them. there's another movie that came out last year um called maestro it's about leonard bernstein this great conductor and composer and I was watching, um, by the way, Bam, the Hollywood Reporter actors and, and directors roundtables have been coming out. Mm-hmm. Still, just incredible I, stuff. I, I have them queued up. Right. So, well, okay, so there's a, a part where Carrie Mulligan is talking about her role in Maestro and she's playing Leonard Bernstein's wife. And she, um, the, the person that she's playing was an actress 
prior to meeting him and he's a composer and he's you know, a conductor and there comes a point where essentially she puts away her acting and she raises his family uh, raises his children and supports him into being this great conductor and there's you know there's the politics of like you know the gender roles that that women are forced into sometimes and the way that Mulligan... kitty has that great line of like mm. oh i'm a biologist graduated yeah. the housewife right <laughs> exactly right perfect and it's it's in 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 maestro how she played the character and and basically how she understood their relationship to be was that while leonard bernstein his world was conducting and composing her contribution to the world was building him up and 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 you know making him her project so there's there's it's very similar to oppenheimer where in the movie leonard bernstein he has these kind of moments where he's dealing with his depression he's breaking down he's you know not the most stable person and she cuts through the bullshit and he's just like get the fuck up grab your little conducting stick and go out there and be the great artist that the world requires you to be like you wanted this this is what you wanted man up and you know (laughs) get to work right um and I guess it's just because it, even though it was done really well with Emily, Emily Blunt plays it really fantastically, mm-hmm. especially in the interrogation scene where she yeah, it's like the frustration that she felt through the entire movie. She has a target to unleash it on. Like she's an atom bomb herself in her performance. Mm-hmm. Um, what I like about the interrogations, though, is mm-hmm. like everyone that's questioned kind of is like under a lot of pressure and they kind of um, Kitty and, and Oppenheimer have like almost the exact react exact um opposite reaction yeah Yeah. where oppenheimer is like sweating and and worrying and kitty is just being a badass yeah she couldn't give less and and yeah she's more of a politician than he is right perfect match yeah so again back to what we're saying that that um marriage between politics and science right right and then even though kitty is a scientist and we kind of forget about that we see that she's the one that has like the strength to like all right i'm gonna just i'm gonna just make things happen and, mm. you know it makes me wonder um about her and what part perhaps she had to play in him in the latter part you know campaigning and and trying to undo some of the damage or prevent more damage from being done because just overall i just see her as this strong power that was there beside him all the time going stop getting lost in the sauce you do not get to play victim it just stays there even she says it again at the end when she's crying and he says what's wrong and she's like did you think that letting them tar and feather you right. was going to yeah. absolve you make you a martyr mm-hmm. and absolve you like how much did she have to do with him trying to do the right thing who would he have been if she did not stick with him throughout you know would yeah so, no man no that's know. solid right because look at all of the personalities in the movie she has by far the strongest personality. She, she know who, who she is. Yeah. She stands on her moment. She does not compromise. You see myriads of political reasons. Even Oppenheimer himself breaking what we can at least assume is his ethical framework, you know, to get certain things done. Yeah. But she doesn't quit. She's like, yo, like, this is me. You're not going to downplay me. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting you know? too. And she makes that sacrifice really, you know, on Oppenheimer's part because, you know, him being kind of broken in a lot of different ways actually you know weighs on her soul a lot and you can see that frustration mm-hmm. so in a real way you know even though she didn't 
get you know a lot of screen time you know in you know quality over quantity really mm-hmm. yeah, yeah she was probably the most powerful person in that film trust me but it, the, so there is that thing of like you know women typically being uh supporting to the the great men um but it i think you also have to look at the the film that's being made here a lot of the things that people kind of wanted it to be are not going to be that in in a movie that's that's intended to be locked in on his perspective mm-hmm. um and i think it is also to explore his treatment of women so yeah movie doesn't exactly portray women as being uh, uh fully fleshed out individuals but maybe that's because oppenheimer maybe the movie's trying to make a statement on that's how oppenheimer might have seen women because i feel like with um florence Pugh's character a lot of it was just that scientific curiosity where mm-hmm. she's such a volatile force in his life and he doesn't really know what's going to happen. So there's almost a sense of like He's experimentation so in his relationship. So playing with some dangerous material and exactly. then it blows up in his yeah. face. Yeah. 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 And so then crying about it on the ground so of Los Alamos. Saw, okay, I saw Gene as this, as a, like he's with Gene first before he meets Kitty. That's Florence Pugh's character. That's Florence Pugh's mm-hmm. um, Gene Tatlock. Um, she's a psychiatrist, by the way. They didn't even mention that. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like, everyone in this movie is like... Wait, didn't they? Spirit. I thought they did. When I, they yeah, went to become mm-hmm. Australia, I'm almost sure they did, but I could be wrong. Yeah, but she's a psychologist at Berkeley, so... Yeah, yeah. She's fucking okay, smart. smart. Yeah, man. <laughs> so, no, no, like, her intelligence came through. Like, mm-hmm. she's able to talk circles around him from the second they first yeah, yeah, yeah. meet. Right. So, yeah. like... Like, uh, she, she's, she, she is there just to show the... F- I guess his first... Well, at this point, like, the second or third... Just like everyone, every human being is a walking batch of contradictions. Mm-hmm. If you really yeah. look into that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's, she's just that's there very to help show his contradictions as a person, right? Like he is in this like very loosey-goosey relationship with her, right? Like he's off doing his, his academics and his, and his stuff. And he's just like, this is just a nice fling that I get to go to. And then like she at this point has accepted that she's just a side chick even before he gets with mm. Kitty. So like when he brings her flowers all the time, she gets mad at him because she's, she's like, like Don't I've treat- accepted that I'm a fling. Right. Stop doing romantic mm-hmm. gestures. I, like it confuses and mm-hmm. hurts me because I'm like, I know I, this will not go anywhere. I don't so even think stop it's trying that to make it she's confused. Like- she's just like annoyed that yeah. he doesn't realize that I'm I'm intelligent enough to realize that I know this is a fling. Yeah, don't stop, don't stop don't patronize me like that. Yeah, but he's but often I'm just like you bring a nice lady flowers. Even though he's just like no 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 no. Like when you're there with me, sure. But like you just fucking for the weekend. Like don't <laughs> don't make this any more than what it is. So I was dying to say too that again, just the the building of this character, or you know what, assuming there is a strong level of realism here, I don't know, but the consistency of personality. Gene Tatlock for me was just yet another thing that shows the nature of this man when it comes to having a propensity to lean towards what is what you're supposed to do. So Gene is there like, yeah, I'm a side chick. Everything that you guys just said. But he did not have a strong enough personality to take a hold of it and go, I am declaring that this is what you are or I am going to respect that you are declaring it on my behalf. I'm just going to lean on the safety of I'm supposed to bring you flowers and whatever comes from that. It's not my fault. Mm-hmm. You know, none of this is my fault. Right. So to me, that was even just an early example of 
of what oh, was oh. going to come later on with him and dealing with you know, the atomic bomb. And then it's funny. It's I love to just from a, you know, just regular person perspective that that how that shows to the relationships between men and women. We typically are like, okay, you know, the man is supposed to be the leader or whatever, depending on your politics on it and whatever. Here we have a man that is so damn intelligent, such a powerhouse to listen to speak, all of that stuff. He's able to attract this very intelligent woman, but at the end of the day, he could not lead. You know, mm-hmm. he could not lead. He could he couldn't take on that responsibility. And then he gets with this biologist who she's so amazing. She's been in three marriages. And by the way, she's paid, she's done her sins too. I don't want anybody in talking about the gender dynamics here to to focus on oh he was at Gallis. Mm. She had her stuff that mm-hmm. she was doing too. Mm-hmm. And she's the one who he stays with. And I think it shows that sometimes it's not so much gendered who is supposed to lead and whatever. Sometimes it's really personality based. I don't yeah. think it's an yes. accident yeah, that the, the marriage that lasted, mm-hmm. that the relationship that continued on to her pretty much bodying up yeah. at 90. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how old they were. Yeah. I don't think it's a coincidence okay. but, but that it was because that was willing You had Oppenheimer uh, who can lead like a group of scientists. Right. But Kitty's the one leading the relationship right. because she has She's those skills. She's brave enough to right. go into three relationships unapologetically. She can get up and say, I love my husband yeah. that died and I get up and, and I marry somebody else. She is willing to take responsibility. Mm-hmm. That's a masculine thing so, to do. No, well, on that note, right? And I might be reading into this a little too much. Tell me if you think I'm wrong. But towards the latter part of when they would meet up, right? Particularly in the hotel scene. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that you know he still brought her flowers, even though this led umpteenth time, mm-hmm. but at least in the way that I was trying to read her face and her body language, it almost be- seemed like a ritual at that point because of the way that she reacted to it and she kind of smirked. Yeah. It was almost like a cemented thing, it's like, God damn it, you know that I hate flowers, but like this is your consistent thing you always do. Mm-hmm. And in a way, in, in a way, just for that short moment, it seemed like there's actually that mutual intimacy in between them, even though. From the beginning, there was like a bit of loaded animosity saying, yo, motherfuckers are bringing me flowers. I don't like it. Mm-hmm. But towards the end where, you know, they've at least interacted, you know, in different settings at different times, that almost became a motif of them, you know, at least in a poetic sense, kind of making peace and say, well, you know, this is the shit. We'll just roll mm-hmm. with it, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Um I don't. Am I wrong? Or no, I think no, you're right. Okay. I, think you're I see right. that too. I see there's beauty in all things, and it, it kind of that scene also in the way that you've described it. Mm. I think it explains why they just kept on. Yeah, there's There is something there, but it's just this. Somebody has to lead, and she did not want to take responsibility. Mm. She wanted a man that is taking responsibility, and he did not want to take responsibility. Mm So, you know, I just think it's an interesting, maybe accidental, Mm -hmm. but commentary on love and actual adult, not podcast, you can love somebody, but... You know, it's just an incompatibility. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah a fight but does not necessarily mean that you're not good for each other. Sometimes you need to push the person, and sometimes that requires saying, "Get the fuck off the floor, stop crying about the ex-gal." All right, like mm-hmm. you need to push the person. By the way, should you be more passionate about than the person you love? Yeah. Mm-hmm. When, when when Bam told you that he had a podcast, by the way, was your first reaction like, "Ah, oh, fuck, another goddamn fool <laughs> talking about relationships on the microphone." 
Um, Man on podcast. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I knew it was a movie thing. Okay, cool. Something of yeah. substance. Well, um, Vanessa brought, Vanessa brought up something that I, I really like appreciated about the movie is like every time that Oppenheimer ha- is in a situation where he doesn't take responsibility and he kind of brushes it off. Yeah. And then the one time he actually does when he goes to speak to Truman and he's he feels sincere about it but blood on his hands and then Truman just completely disregards him and, yeah. and, and kind of bitch slaps him <laughs> with words to say no nah, you don't you're not responsible for this right as much as you'd like to think nah, bro, so it's me. it's I kind of I, I just nah, Truman, Truman said he thinks he's him <laughs> I, I love the fact that the one time that he actually does take responsibility it's my shown five, to him that to it's shown to him that no it doesn't matter this time. Yeah. And it really, you should have taken responsibility for the other times when it would have been important. Yeah, but like here, li- literally you don't really have the power here. Bomb gone off, brother. Like, what do you want me to do about it? <laughs> you can't undo that. Pack on time. Pack on time, yeah, I guess. Um, You you know what the pack on is? I know, I no clue. All right. Vanessa, do you know what the pack on is? Um, have have (laughs) vanessa and randy have you either of you seen avatar the way of the water yeah yeah okay so you know payakan from that movie um i'm bad at remembering oh yeah 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 Yeah, he was the way was that the injured one yes Yes. okay all right right, you know he's like low-key the best character in that movie um it's a very good character. I don't know if I'd say well, best. Well, not good best character. Key, low key, like background character. That's best background pa- character. Yeah. And no, if you can argue for it, no problem. Well, at a certain point, when he this, does this podcast, is sort of um, a full essay on the arguing of why Payakan is the best character. Okay, <laughs> right. Okay. Be- because like, there's the point where Payakan, when he does his revenge right. thing, and he and you know he he has probably the best action sequence in the entire movie he takes down all these ships with the missiles fl- reflecting off his head whatever he some missile, right his arms off yeah cuts off his nemesis his arm off um so ever since watching that every movie that we've seen since we pick out that unsung hero in the cast who's like the background support well actor? can i speak on him because i actually have a few thoughts on him on it is a him right i don't know if Pagan, um, yeah. i mean it's a, it's a right so day, I, guess, huh? I don't know <laughs> if you guys have fleshed this out before but something i remember thinking when i was watching it is um you know that was like his redemption action you yeah, know yeah, compared yeah. to the yeah, rest yeah. of his pod yeah and he's what is powerful about it right at least philosophically yeah is he's he's not an anthropomorphized character no he's not a human or you know yeah. a, a local that he's has two arms two legs <laughs> right and that's particularly powerful if you want to really think about like the bigger picture of things yeah that you know if we ever do you know find life elsewhere you know, we're only used to our kind of life and yeah. mm-hmm. interpreting emotions and faces and body language yes. and so. Yeah. But, you know, um, even alluding to movies like Arrival where, you know, the um, I think they were like octopus the yeah, 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 yeah. We really have to think outside of the box as well. You know, a whole being that is totally alien is different from us and we can't interpret them none at all, sure. Yeah. But as a what living is, thing, as a sentient yeah. thing, yeah. right? You have to assume that there's some commonality or some, you know, baseline yeah. reason or wanting to exist. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's core to 
both Avatar films is that that sense of connection to nature itself. Right. Which is why there's that scene where the, when the villains are looking for the heroes and they come across his camp and for one of the first things they do is they shoot the dolphin thing. Yeah, man. And like the audience just feels it like, oh no, because you have this connection with... Anyway, we t- that's Avatar. We're talking <laughs> so much about Avatar. Anyway, so the point is to to choose that person in Oppenheimer who oh, okay. who who so is that not, for not, you? Not not like main. Like who's the background? The surprising background support. Like is there in the character? Like, like, right. Well, that I, I, really, I I have the really like. I know there's only one real answer for this. For Oppenheimer? Yes. There's like fifty different. So I, so no, different there's only one right answer for me, All right. and that's Doctor David Hill, played by Rami Malek. Okay, okay. That's that. Strong he's choice. my okay, Farrakhan just Strong for choice. his little Strong two choice. minutes. Yeah, yeah. Of, of, of his little two minutes and shaky hands, and you're like, who is this dweeb in the background who's like, no, um, no, no. I was like, why is Rami Malek here and why does he have no lines? Right. Like, <laughs> like he shows yeah. up what, two hours into the movie, and all he does is like he gets his like his like board slapped out of his hand, and he says nothing. You're like, wait, why, why did Rami Malek come here to get a, a thing slapped out of his hand? Yeah. yeah. No, it but it, it is a literal mic drop moment right. for like that character to come in and and at that point you've got baby han solo with uh robert downey jr mm-hmm. and they're they they think they have it in the bag you know they're about to make the announcement and who should come out of the woodwork is this little fucking twerping Freddy glasses Mercury's who they thought Fred- was like <laughs> their Fred- man yeah Freddie mercury in a suit is like okay cool whatever dude and then he just drops the bomb on them I didn't mean that as a pun, yes, but yes, yes. yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. No, th- when I saw that scene, I was just like, "Yeah, this could be somebody's pack," and yeah. mm-hmm. he, he kind of does run away mm-hmm. with it in that moment. Um, yeah, I, I agree with Bam. I think it's I think it's a tough movie to pick a pyrocan out of because I think you could pick out a pyrocan in each act. Right. Um, but I'm gonna go. If with we're gonna do that, I, I, <laughs> I have notes. <laughs> well, okay, I am gonna go with the 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 man who. I think haunted my nightmares a bit after watching it. And I think because this is an actor who I know has this in him, but hasn't really been given the chance. Kind of similar to Killian Murphy, like not really given the lead role. But um Jason Clark as uh Roger Robb the, the interrogator in the court scenes. David, are you referring to my um best supporting actor over here? <laughs> <laughs> and and you know, this is like this is an actor who Nolan knew how to use the size of his head. Yep. Because in those scenes where he is interrogating him so intensely, like his head takes up maybe forty percent of the entire screen. And seeing that on IMAX is intimidating. Uh, in the first act, when you when you see the kangaroo court for the first time, right. he pipes up and he's just like so did you did you have any relationship with communists first and like the other person's like wait rob 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 hold on save that for the third act bro. right, right. <laughs> <laughs> literally yeah and, and it's it is like he is a little bit unassuming the movie's called oppenheimer you're like this mm. guy is he, he's the dude right like no one's gonna get but he comes the closest to unnerving oppenheimer like Everybody else, even when he's in that room with Truman, he feels a little shaken, but it's more about him reflecting on his own misdeeds, right? This is someone pressing him, and Oppenheimer, who has been going through the whole movie, being able to give answers to everybody for everything, is like, nah, he's cornered. He's like an... He's like an and it's probably the most creative uh, uh, choice in the movie yeah. when he's the being interrogated. Huh? The 
blinding lights? Not the blinding lights. That split second. Is it even a split second? There's a, there's the the scene where when he's being interrogated and all of a sudden Killian Murphy is naked in the interrogation room. Right. Right. And it kind of came out of nowhere. Um. Just that's how vulnerable that he made him. No. It's a. He was he was it was a who's naked and b you're getting it from Kitty's point of view. She has to once again relive his cheating. Yeah. With 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 um Gene. So he she's as he's talking, she's physically just like all she can imagine in this moment is like yeah they fucked in that hotel room. Yeah. So seeing her laid bare. But like the so those entire sections are probably the least dynamic action wise of the entire movie because it's just people sitting in a room. You don't even get them walking and talking. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they work without Jason Clark. I think he really does deliver really, those scenes. Room yeah, he really does. He's he's like a rug, you might say. Right. Uh, is that your is that your Payakan? No, yeah. Okay. Um, I was trying to look up who the actor was. Okay. I still not hundred percent fleshed out on the, the Payakan. Um, the concept is too much theory for you right now. Uh, you need to no, well, I, the parameters of what I, 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 just keep, I do keep on coming. Back I mean, is I it an underdog or okay. it's, it's kind no of like someone that stood out in particular? Yeah, someone who stood out Not, to you. Okay, it can be somebody in like the main main cast. So can't be Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. Okay, can't be Levi Strauss. I'm trying to remember his name. Maybe you guys can remind me. Sure. Uh, it was the, the scientist. The um, H bomb guy. Yeah. Um, Tello. Benny Safdie. Yeah, that's okay. a good choice. Yeah, yeah. because my second choice. What yeah. is interesting about, especially about how the film tells the story, is the theme with Oppenheimer and the hydrogen bomb. Right, he totally against it. That like, yo, please don't, you know, continue Los Alamos and build like H bomb. Right, but he allowed him while they're doing the research. Say, yo, no, don't leave. I value intelligence. You don't even have to study with us or research us, none at all. Just stay and, you know, do your own research. Centralized. And uh, I think for at least the reverberations in real life of how ominous that really was. Because if you guys remember when they're discussing it, you know, if you want, if they wanted to dive into it, it's like we're not dealing with kilotons anymore. Megatons. Megatons. Mm -hmm. Like hundreds of megatons. Right. He also has the, the funniest, one of the funniest lines to me. Is when he's when he's he's just like pupu in in the first meet. He's just like no no we're like why are we yeah. we should do the hydrogen bomb yeah. like, oh hydrogen bomb how you did it yeah. and he's and he's explaining how to do it and they're like okay how do you like right. it and he's like, like well, with a small fish on bomb, bomb. Right. <laughs> and, they're, and they're like yeah. all right nigga let's get back to the class really please thanks for helping you know um but as in like just the real life ramifications of it yeah you know because you the it, it, it's not said but like him and strauss go on to actually yeah mm-hmm. like because i mean like math wise like right now uh, if i remember correctly you only need 580 of the biggest hydrogen bombs that exist do you know the nuclear status like literally cover every exactly. single inch of the planet mm-hmm. and that's scary because it's upwards of fifteen thousand uh, atomic weapons have. exist a quarter yeah. of which are hydrogen bombs you know and like that's really really ominous like you know based on a lot of his research you know foreshadowing of a lot of Oppenheimer's fears you know it's like nowhere at this point where it's played out where we can end our life on earth in about 15 minutes you know and that's scary mm-hmm. so it's, like Teller is like one of the the he's character he's like a harbinger well he's 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 another one of the you pick up the stone and he's another snake that's coming out right because he's literally Another one of those examples of Oppenheimer, things that Oppenheimer doesn't want to take responsibility sure. for. He brought him on, and then afterward, he encouraged him to to, to do the research on the H bomb. Oh, and then yeah. at the end, when he realizes, oh no, this might be an issue, and it blows up, right? It blows what up in his I face. I suspect may have been the case, at least in real life, if I'm remembering correctly. 
is a lot of the research that Oppenheimer at least got to dip his fingers in, mm-hmm. you know, um, because he wasn't directly involved in the R&D of everything. He was really more right. an overseer. Um, with the hydrogen bomb development, he had to use a lot more principles from quantum mechanics to figure things out. Mm-hmm. And Oppenheimer did not have the luxury to do it at that time, and that's what he was really curious about. Because that's what his passion really was. You know, it wasn't atomic physics, it was quantum mechanics. Mm-hmm. And because of how his roles, you know, started developing in real life and the projects he had to take on, he wasn't, he didn't have the luxury to dive into it. So Teller could have, I suspect, was a proxy to that as well. Yeah. See how, like, he's smart and thing and he can kind of continue to do the stuff that I'm interested in. So, yo, yeah, just forward, you know, just mm-hmm, do it. Mm-hmm. So I suspect that's the case as well. There's the philosophy of it too. Einstein put it down, Oppenheimer pick it up, Oppenheimer yeah. trying to put it down. And then he yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Vanessa, you're to your Payakan. A band wants to save his for last, I, I can tell. I was trying to heavily breathe before, so <sighs> inserts heavy breathing. <laughs> Edwards. <laughs> Edwards. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm not gonna lie, I don't even know I don't remember what his whole point was in the plot. But I was just so surprised to see that man on the screen. He was on the screen, he has not aged, and just the vague recollection I have of the parts he used to play in the past, I think it was really interesting to see him play an intellectual. Um, I think he was one of the first people to draw up Oppenheimer on his feigned naivety when he was Mm. there holding these communists, um, dabbling in communism, but not wanting to admit that that's what he was doing. Mm -hmm. If he had not, if Edwards had not drawn him up that day, and said, you know, stop this. Even though we know the security clearance, it could be argued that it was a farce that they eventually gave it to him. Right. But I think that, you know, him kind of tempering Oppenheimer's behavior at that early stage is a part of what brought, allowed Oppenheimer to be discussed in a positive way, um, known as the scientist that he is, because prior to that, he was definitely in a spiral where he was really on his way to being totally blacklisted. Yeah. That's my joke answer, my real answer, though. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's my heart's answer. Okay. But my, my real answer is actually the person you touched on, um, which was the guy who went to the congressional hearing and spilled the beans mm. on everything. Um, it's just, it's very basic, but it's just nice to see whenever in a movie you have that character that's like, oh, the little ditzy yeah, or, person. Or Remember they person. the, the right. papers out of his hand and all of that stuff. Yeah. And then he went up there and the man did not stutter. He had his Elwoods Woods moment. Everything. Yeah. He didn't stutter. He, he spoke straight. Yeah. Everything. Um, so I guess I have two answers. No, one no, from that's an fine. actor's perspective, mm. like just seeing... Josh Hartnett it is? Yeah, it is Josh. Come out in such, you know, a serious role, convey such emotion, look so good and clean. I don't like him. Look a beard that I'm going to have sometime. But from a from a story Okay, that's why I was confused. You said Edwards, but his character's name is Ernest. Lawrence. 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 Because yeah. I typed, Lawrence I did control guy. F Edwards and I could not <laughs> find anybody. But so yeah. it was Lawrence. Okay, I can, I'm, I'm with you now. But, you know, it was good to see Josh Hartnett again. Like, yeah, I think there's, there's quite a few... Um, people in this movie just like, oh, look at you, look at what you can do. Like you see Gary Oldman in something for two minutes, and he's just like, yeah, mm. I know you can play President. Tr- you could do this for a whole movie, and it would win an Oscar. Um, but yeah, seeing Josh Hartnett, um, I also want to give a shout out to um, uh, he played Roderick Rules, uh, Roderick uh, from um, Bongo, uh, Bongo guy. Yeah, Bongo yeah. Drums. <laughs> he he's the one that vomited after the the test. Yeah. Um, Dr. Robert Feynman, Nobel Prize winner. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> him. Um, yeah, but like just. He, yeah. He, yeah. Literally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So like guy. he 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 arguably the he biggest gallus in the movie by the way. Really, really? Yeah, even yeah. way more than nice. Oppenheimer. Find man was famous for that man. Like everybody, man, woman, everybody. Run down fine man, yeah, that charismatic because ah, I was just nice. like next level. Get them, Roderick. Yeah, yeah, man. Nerd uh, is he, real. Yeah, he 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 has that great silent scene where like you're seeing the scientists at Los Alamos react to the bomb going off, and like he doesn't say anything, but his 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 face is reading like, oh wow, it worked. Oh wow, it, it worked. Yeah. Yeah. Like 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 he, he silently yeah. and then and then like he shakes somebody's hand and you see him just like. Like, like he, he's like, he's like trying to shit, shit on the person's hand, but you see his face is just like, fuck, what have we done? Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. In that end of it, that's that's a really good. Um, yeah. Beat. Can um, I can I guess yours? Would you mind if I guess yours? You can guess mine, sure. Okay. Um, is it David Crumholtz? As Robbie, my boy Robbie. Yeah. <sighs> he, he, I I think like when we just saw it, we're like, mm, Robbie though, right? Yeah, he's pretty good. <laughs> he's pretty good. Yeah. And like. I watched it. I was like, "Yeah, he is. He he, he is great." As like as, as like um best con- 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 consciousness yeah. or, or, or angel on the shoulder, I should say. Um, he is very good. Um, I, I just want to shout him out because because we haven't done it. Yeah. Um, he, he for sake of this of of this podcast episode on Oppenheimer, <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll choose another character from it. Um, before I say I'm a Pyrocon. I just want to show out my favorite line reading of the movie. Yeah. Um. It's it's when um Tello is getting like frustrated in the meeting. He's like, "Ah, oh, fuck you, niggas!" And he like storms out. Oh, you talk- and, 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 and then Hans Bath. Yeah. Um, Floki from Vikings. Yes. Gets up and he's just like, "Let him go. He's a prima donna. He's a prima donna." <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. It's line great. Reading. It's really great. <laughs> um, so shout out to that guy. Um, but uh, just to bring him up. Uh, as as going by our our vicious pack on rules, mm. side character who comes out of nowhere and like really puts out their fucking stamp on it. Yeah. Um, the general who just breathlessly goes, mm-hmm. "I'm striking Kyoto from the list because because of his Japanese no. cultural significance." Yes. Plus, me and my wife like to go there on vacation, right. and I'm like, "What a perfect reading of like American Connect. geopolitics yeah, and how they see the world." Textbook. We're, we're, we're just like. Mm, yeah, we should bomb over here, but like, oh, look at this nice spot that yeah. I like. Right. Like, whatever, whatever, whatever ramifications right. these people. Fuck that, but like, the important thing I, I am interested what in. What is human life? I was... To the history books, that was real, though. Yeah. So I think mm-hmm. they made sure to put it in. Put it in. So I was, I was six or seven rows away from Bam in the middle of the cinema when that line was said. <laughs> and, and you could hear, the entire theater could hear a very loud, fuck off yeah, yeah. in that moment when that yeah. line was said. Yeah. Uh, like, I... I, I I, I do love when a movie has me like completely locked in. Yeah. And like I, I am I am like for three quarters of the movie I'm just like like, like hunched over like yeah. staring yeah, at yeah. you like mm-hmm. damn these niggas going hard. <laughs> and then <laughs> it was when he said that line I was just like I just saw the perfect encapsulation of like America. Yeah. <laughs> in, in in that scene so I was just like Ugh. the general if I'm remembering correctly um is Henry Elton Stilson right? The general? Yeah. Henry, Henry L. Stimson, if I remember correctly. Yes, okay. yes, 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 yes. That's yeah. him. Played by so, James Remar. Yeah, James man. Yeah. So a little bit of interesting history for him that I remember from when I was in undergrad was um basically they were looking for excuses to use the two bombs, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, you know, the TLDR of it is... um is well, that one, one, one to show, one to show we can do it again. Um, well, how it played out, 
right, is, you know, well, obviously we want youths in Japan, but how can we justify it in a way that we don't look like the aggressors? Mm -hmm. So America started to freeze all of Japanese financial assets mm -hmm. and really start to annoy them, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, America's been looking for an excuse to attack Japan outrightly. Mm -hmm. You know, not just because of things like Unit 731, which if you guys know anything about that, you know, is some of the most unethical um you know, kinds of experimentations mm -hmm. about done to human beings, and it was it, it was Japan that was guilty of that. Yeah. You know, but what happened? Well, so let me just finish a quick thing. Um, so what happened is Japan started to send all of their um military um. Uh, there, a lot of their warships towards Pearl Harbor. This is really about the Pearl Harbor, Harbor right? Because they knew that yeah. they would have weapons coming up, and they want an excuse to go into yeah. war. Yeah. And Australia repeatedly warned the states, he's like, yo, there's a lot of Japanese boats heading that way. Yeah, like, yeah. you guys need to, like, prepare. And Stimson's mm -hmm. like, no, let them attack. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. so you we need just, an so excuse to win over the American justify. people to get to the war. Nobody in America wanted to enter the war. After, yeah. after the day after Pearl Harbor, 750,000 people Sign signed up, up mm -hmm. to join the war because, you know, we have an enemy now. Mm -hmm. See, so, yeah. yeah, just to throw a little yeah. you know, scope History on in there. So he was yeah. that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Totally in so, character. Like, like, totally. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think, so that I line is not out of place. Trust. That's all. Yeah. Right, right, I, think, right. I think there's something like really on. There's something unspoken about it. Because I know like they. they before um, Germany fell, they were just like, well, obviously we're building this bomb to bomb Japan and Germany. Right, right. And then I think. I think that's unspoken about it is at the end of the day. America respected Germany and German culture as white people, mm -hmm. and they were more lenient about bombing I Japan mean, because Opp Oppenheimer's wife is German. Than, yeah, mm -hmm. like Oppenheimer's wife. At, at the end of the day, they saw them as lesser than because there were several like meetings of like who should be our targets. Yeah, and it's just like yeah, but like. Germany is a place of right. like lovely well, culture and Japan mm. is just this little thing. Yeah, and there's, and a, there's a strategy for it um, with the states, right? Because um, from even f from World War One days, like America knew that like some of your best physicists and your best rocket scientists also are German. Yes. You know, and they've been slowly been trying to pluck over people. I think I remember correctly, uh, they've got Project Paperclip, board as well. Project Paperclip. You're right. <laughs> you know, so that's, that's um, they've always had that relationship. Yep. Right, you know they're also in bed together. Um, Prescott Bush, of course. Mm -hmm. Right, um, you got you know he got um fined for trading on the Enemies Act because he was selling patented um type um oils mm -hmm. and different kinds of fluid to Germany mm -hmm. while the war was going mm -hmm. on. That yeah. known enemy, mm -hmm. you know, America's always trying to win over different German scientists and you know, you know, kind of skip them over. That's what they did with Niels Bohr. They showed it in the film as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, a little silly thing on that point. My favorite line in the movie was actually from i think his name was fuchs mm. when he came over to join him at los alamos and um and oppenheimer looked at him they i think he, they said to him like where are you from and he said um from england he's from england oh, england something yeah. like that and right like, um so how when did you become american right and his response was... Um, since Germany told since me I was right, in Germany. So yeah. Germany yeah, man. Yeah, since Germany told me I was in Germany. And I thought that was really interesting. It just kind of plays out because he turned out to be the traitor. So right. it was a German. Yeah, because <laughs> a lot of them did the have Jewish heritage. Mm -hmm. and, and what you're saying, I know it's from historical fact that you're speaking. But like it's, so, it's interesting because now that I'm thinking about it, 
they were there arguing about how oh, we need to find targets that are big enough. European cities would have been yeah. big mm-hmm. enough. Absolutely. So I, I see, I, I definitely see what both Bam and, you know, Rana I think the, the, the bullshit answer about um, using the bomb to, to end the war quickly. Um, they just want to see the fireworks. So that they could save Japanese lives by bombing them so they would give up the fight. Mm-hmm. And then... I don't know. The, the real reason seems to be they wanted to show off their bombs, yeah. Yeah. and no, they, they worked to show really power. hard. They, wanted to they, show, they, they work on this project for really long. Yeah, we, we want to, to show that we have the capacity to frighten our enemies. Like, what was Oppenheimer was supposed to do? Go to his entire group and say, "Hey guys, I know we worked hard, but well, we want, we can't, can't we're, we're not going to look at the fireworks, yeah. okay? Not going to um, happen. So Maybe like, next war." Just a little personal story. Um, so my granddad was actually. Um, he worked on the Trinity Project. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, he was a sailor in British Army, well, uh-huh. the British Navy, and um, so one thing that he didn't really like to talk about, like his um, his his service, because it's so traumatizing. Well, one thing my mother reminded me about was um, something he told her. Um, he actually went to Hiroshima. Or, or was it Nagasaki? Mm-hmm. One of the two. I'm not sure which one it was that he went to um, after the bomb. And he said the one thing that really like um, like mortified him more than anything um, was seeing the shadows of where people were. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I know the movie doesn't really show that part. Like the the devastation on Japan. You, that just, you the, just see him reacting to video of it. You yeah, yeah, you just see the reaction mm-hmm. to it, and and I think it was left out on purpose mm-hmm. because it's just it, just to show like the nonchalant and disregard that the Americans That's had the for for Japanese yeah. lives. So that kind of hit me because when I saw that shadow in the movie, I was like, oh, fuck. I remember that, that story that my granddad had to deal with. Yeah. I think and then... Uh, uh, sparing American feelings, as always, in every movie. That, to me, that's what it is. Yeah. yeah. More, we don't want you guys... We want you to know that you did this, but we don't want you to feel too bad about it. Hmm. you is us. We don't want to feel too bad about it. Right. There, there, okay, there is... A, this is fully from Oppenheimer's subjectivity. So he, by all accounts, never met a Japanese person in his life. <laughs> so you have to see it from that point of view. But also, it's <laughs> oh, also like there are many Japanese films about what happened. If you'd like mm. to be interested in it, go look into that. Uh, but like, uh, there's also the point of like, I think he, Nolan kind of like trolled a lot of people in this movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As we were saying earlier, mm. because like, I know when it was announced he was doing Oppenheimer, like I know the 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 talk of the town was oh shit son he's gonna show this big explosion in Japan that's gonna be great and everybody was like sadistically very interested in seeing yeah. a huge chaotic bomb and and how Christopher Nolan would portray that and Nolan very smartly was just like nah you no, don't get no, you don't actually get to see like, like made made the audience ashamed that they, they were wanted, wanted to, to see, see that. right. right. Yeah. I I I I, mm. I feel like that's gonna come up a lot on our Killers of the Flower Moon episode, mm-hmm. which is our, our next one. Um, which I'll use that as the opportunity to say goodbye to this episode as we come close to the end. Um, if anybody has anything else that they'd like to touch on that they haven't touched on already, please do 20, so. And a twenty-minute rants from those notes. <laughs> <laughs> anything else that you'd like to say? 
that's it. You know, uh, I, I think the only thing I, I was like, I just need. I need Palace to bring it back, like Oscar <laughs> time with, with the orchestra. With oh. you know, you I know just what? need you know to what? Read it, it, it. If they do, I'm mm. just, I'm hoping that people yeah listen to this podcast bef- before it comes out. Yeah, please go and watch this movie in the theaters. Cause yeah, I think Bam said it to me like immediately as we walked out. This has to win best sound editing. Yeah. It yeah. has to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's it's just and I, I think I said it earlier, like it's the headphones like really don't do it yeah. justice. I mean I, I, I had so many thoughts walking out of this movie because I was just like, I think this is the best movie of the year I'm watching like I'm experiencing it right now. Yeah. And also like the the best praise for a three O movie as soon as I walked out, I was just like, I can't wait that to again? watch it again. Mm-hmm. again. I cannot wait to watch it again. Yeah. I was I was upset I didn't go and see it again um in cinemas, but you know I should I, I should have rightfully watched it like the day after. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah, no, it's probably it's it's gonna it's definitely winning best score. Um which this is quite best a best director, best score, best picture, I think best actor. Right? Yeah. From now. Um I think it's it's definitely like it's best a, editing, it should come best editing. Mm-hmm. It's you're, a comp- you're, you're seeing three acts simultaneously. It's, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah, and and you're able to focus on each of them. But um, no, it's 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 a competitive year um for technical films like it score alone. There's a lot of great contenders out there. But um, yeah, it's it is it is. I think it's Nolan's magnum opus. This is what everything has been leading towards. And like we said, there's a bunch of other people in the movie who come to play, and like it's a huge cast and each one of them feels that they have their moment to shine and everything. Um, it, it, you know, it leaves things open-ended, which can be a lot more chilling than a definitive answer. It sets up the teaser with um, JFK. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, um, it's great and it definitely lived up to the hype. And uh, yeah, what a boost it got from Barbie because this movie, mm-hmm. it would have done well, it would not have done a billion dollars yeah, well no. if not for Barbie. Yeah, man. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that is it. Thank you all very much for listening. Guests, thank you for being here. You were b- all very insightful. Uh, Stephen, thank you for bringing on Randy. And uh, Bam, thank you for bringing on Vanessa. Yay. And Damien, thanks, thanks for pressing record. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, you can find the podcast anywhere podcasts can be found. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify. Spotify. Apple, that's it, that's already. Put uh, it into Google. We'll appear. Yeah. Um, I know everybody, like, we know that you want videos work it's 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 gonna come it's happening all right just just wait we're, we're gonna put stuff together it's just you know you ain't paying us for this and we actually have jobs and unfortunately yeah. that's capitalism for you but we would love to keep doing this the forever minute we monetize this bro <laughs> we'll start in. the minute i make a dollar i'm walking into my boss's office like ah, is it i'm out i quit resign uh you can find me at damon michael movies on twitter and instagram you can find bam at flatbammy on Twitter or Instagram most taken on Instagram. I I remembered, but I I like yeah, it better when you say it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I won't say Stevens because we can't Twitter name no, on, on my never because it's rude, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, I really do appreciate everybody's contribution to this episode. And two people on this show haven't been on podcast before, which is insane because they were extremely well on this podcast. Like some of the best first time guests we've had. So give yourselves pats on that. Back. Alright, thank you all for listening. Um, if you're gonna work on the atom bomb, maybe think about it.